in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This week, our co-host is Nick Redfern. Paul Kimball will be joining us later. Our guest, finally, we got him here, Richard Dolan on the Paracast. He's author of two books so far under the broad title, UFOs and the National Security State. Volume 1 is an unclassified history, which covers 1941 to 1973. Volume 2, which became much larger, is 1973 to 1991, subtitled The Cover-Up Exposed. Now, before we get into what the cover-up is and more details, for those who haven't heard Rich on the Paracast, the first thing we ought to focus in is how did you come to write these books? Because I gather it sort of became a much bigger project than you anticipated, Rich. Uh, yes, it did, Gene. And by the way, thanks uh, for having me on, and uh, greetings to Nick. I started doing UFO research uh, a little over 15 years ago now, back in the mid early, mid-1990s. Uh, at that time, I was doing fairly uh, state-of-the-conventional uh, <laughs> uh, type of uh, Cold War research, uh, doctoral dissertation, uh, focusing on the Harry Truman presidency. I think it was in 94, and I, I kind of stumbled into the UFO topic really in two different ways. One was in a bookstore. I saw a book by uh, the author Timothy Good called Above Top Secret. I had never seen this book before. It was subtitled The Worldwide UFO Cover-Up. And I remember watching, uh, looking at the cover, thinking, wow, that's kind of interesting, and uh, flipping through the book and becoming intrigued. Uh, I was intrigued, I think, because he was writing in large part about a lot of the people in the era that I had been focusing on and so on, but he was working this into a UFO context, and that was a bit jarring to me. Uh, I bought the book, and I found it very, very interesting. And really, my main question early on was not what are UFOs, but rather, is this a genuine part of our history? And if it is, even if it was a mistake, uh, even if these three and four-star generals were interested in this by some kind of uh, mistaken belief, why had I never read about it in any academic book? Because after all, I should think that that's uh, still important. Uh, and I also got interested in the UFO topic around the same time by uh, trolling around on what was then the Internet, basically the uh, bulletin board groups on Usenet. Uh, there is one uh, main one that I used to go to, Alt Paranet UFO. I think it's still around. I haven't been there lately. But uh, back in those days, before there was much in the way of websites, uh, there were people who would be posting up information that was, you know, relevant to UFOs. You know, after getting past the the, the typical flame wars that were going on then, just as they do now, uh, there were always a lot of people who had some pretty interesting things to say. And those two things by the mid '90s really got me hooked. And really what I wanted to do initially was not write a book. Uh, the main thing I wanted to do initially was just satisfy for my own curiosity what I thought about the UFO topic. Did I think it was legit or not? And uh, that morphed into what became a 500-page book, UFOs and the National Security State. That Writing that book was really my initial attempt to answer the question for myself. What did I think of the UFO phenomenon? Now, just approaching this here, you started out conceiving a two-volume set. Right. And then as you were working on Volume 2, obviously it kind of got away from you, I suspect, very much like government spending is. And there's a story <laughs> that's out this week about the sprawling security apparatus of the USA that I'd like to talk about in a few moments. Yeah. But it became a three-volume project, right? 
It did, yeah. There was just too much information, truthfully. I started writing the second volume. So I was doing what I thought was just going to be the second and concluding volume of this study. Uh, it occurred to me that, that chapter one was 100 pages and chapter two was about another 100 pages. And I thought, this is going to be a 1,000-page book. <laughs> so there's just there's no way, uh, no way that I could make this uh, work in with that amount of quantity so I just decided I was just going to split it and really the perfect point to split it I, I felt was at 1991 which is the end of the Cold War really the end of an era and that worked out great that was a 600 plus page book and uh, it was perfect now of course volume 3 is going to come eventually one of these days indeed and I, I, then actually how far are you going to actually focus just whatever year you write it in or what that's right Gene I, I really believe whatever the, the day that I actually finalized the book. I, I hope to have the topic covered as well as I can up to that point. Let's look at the broad yeah. aspect of where we're going with this. UFOs and the national security state implies that there are national security issues in the presence of UFOs here. So, right. so far in your investigation, your research, where do you think we can pinpoint these national security aspects? Well, I think first and foremost, we can uh, pinpoint them in the, the uh, in uh, officially released government documents that show airspace violations as being a kind of a big concern. Uh, what we know, going back to the 40s and 50s and 60s, and really even through up to our own era, is that we have a consistent um, history of U.S. military aircraft, and indeed m military aircraft of other nations as well, chasing objects that behave in ways that are not supposed to be possible, uh, that are not identified, and that uh, often look in you know, very unusual ways, like disc shape, for example. So that doesn't prove that UFOs are alien or ET, but it, it does seem to prove to me that there's a phenomenon going on that's, that, that begs an explanation. Um, and it has national security implications because when you have instances of objects being seen over sensitive airspace, not once, not twice, not a dozen times, but, but many dozens of times that we know of, then clearly that's important if you can identify it and if you're chasing, if you're sending your own interceptors up to, to uh, look at it, look after it. So I would say, yes, that's a national security concern. And uh, this is something that we know was going on in the 40s and 50s and, and indeed beyond. Uh, what we don't have, of course, is an official uh, explanation from, uh, let's say, the powers that be as to who's responsible for it. Now, over the course of writing this book, and we should cover both volumes one and two since they're both available and I have them in front of me, and I've read a lot of them despite what some people have suggested. Okay, where do we see government involvement other than basically being participants Witnessing sightings, sending up aircraft scrambling jets because they see a sighting. Are there any other instances or aspects of government involvement we should be knowing about or concerned about? Uh, I'm not sure where you where you're going with this. Um, I guess you know certainly we've got the long history of uh, the the various types of government sponsored investigations into UFOs. Uh, maybe that's what you're thinking of. I'm thinking uh, also about overt involvement in terms of 
researchers, dirty tricks. Paul Benowitz is an example. Oh, well, like yeah, that. right. Uh well, one, one of the things that I've argued in, in my second volume in particular is that the, the UFO phenomenon sort of came to a head, as it often does, and by, in this case in the late 1970s. And, and what really had happened, as I see it, is that the Freedom of Information Act, which really only had got some teeth uh, really in the mid and late 1970s, resulted in the release of thousands of pages of documents relating to UFOs uh, from uh, many branches of the U.S. military and the U.S. government, CIA and FBI and a lot of the military branches as well. Uh, and in particular, it was interesting because, you know, all of those agencies basically had been saying for years, well, we don't really investigate UFOs. The FBI had said it. The CIA had said it. And, and then suddenly, researchers were, due to FOIA, were getting some pretty good documents and of course they're talking about here rich they're saying we don't have any of this stuff we don't investigate it but they nevertheless have the documents we have richard dolan and he is author of two books of the ufos and the national security state series a third book coming eventually our co-hosts this week paul kimball nick redfern i'm gene steinberg you're in the powercast As you know, the PowerCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers, for listeners of the PowerCast, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One book to consider, for example, is Above Top Secret, the worldwide UFO cover-up by Timothy Good. Timothy Good, as you know, has been a guest on the PowerCast. Yet another book worth considering from Audible.com is Lies and Deception, UFOs and the Secret Agenda, from Timothy Good once again, and also from our old friend Nick Pope. As you know, Nick Pope has also been on the PowerCast. This is another book that you're definitely going to want to check out. For this book or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash paracast. Originally, we the people have entrusted government to be the guardians of currency to ensure purity, content, weights, and measures of gold and silver coins citizens would use for commerce. This reinstalled confidence after the demise of the fiat continental system. Wisdom being lost with time. The government we once entrusted to protect from counterfeit has colluded with private business, creating the largest fiat counterfeiting scheme our country ever experienced. This is not only a transfer of power to an institution that is not accountable to our elected government, but has also caused the dollar to lose more than 90 cents of its original value. Now foreign governments are trying to divest themselves from this once world reserve currency. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm offering a book that explains how the system works. Call me today at 800-686-2237. I will give you a silver dollar free just for purchasing the book. Call today at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. 
If you suffer from poor sleep, you've got to try my pillow. Introducing the most revolutionary, most comfortable, and coolest pillow ever, my pillow. Imagine your very own custom fit pillow. My pillow is the only pillow of its kind on the market that uses a patented fill, custom made to your exact individual needs. My pillow is 100% made in the USA and has a natural built-in cooling effect that keeps your cervical nerves cool, and that helps you get the best REM sleep possible. My pillow helps alleviate snoring, migraine, sleep apnea, and other sleeping disorders. My pillow. Is antimicrobial, non-allergenic, dust mite resistant, machine washable and dryable, comes in many sizes and will not go flat. And best of all, my pillow comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose? Except poor sleep. Go to mypillowshop.com, mention coupon code GCN and receive up to $40 off. That's mypillowshop.com or call 952-442-6199. That's 952-442-6199. My pillow for the rest of your life. What is a wind generator? How can the wind produce power for a small cabin? How can wind energy be stored and used during an emergency? Can I assemble my own wind generator? For answers to questions about wind power, visit windbluepower.com. Did you know the wind could provide your family with emergency power? It can with a wind generator from windbluepower.com. Learn how our amazing LightBreeze wind generator kits start charging a 12-volt battery and just 6 mile per hour wind. Or see the new Cyclone X2 dual kit featuring two wind generators on just one tower. And learn why schools and universities across the country utilize our products that teach about wind power and alternative energy at windbluepower.com. All kits qualify for a 30% IRS tax credit for residential energy efficient property. Enter coupon code RADIO for a 5% discount at windbluepower.com. That's wind bluepower.com or call 800-976-0026 that's 800-976-0026 how do you spell hard-hitting talk radio g c n the genesis communications radio network we want to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the paracast send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. We have Richard Dolan joining us. Some months back, he came out with Volume 2 of UFOs in the National Security State, subtitled The Cover-Up Exposed, and we're going to try to do that. Our co-hosts this week are Paul Kimball and Nick Redfern. Nick, why don't you pick up on the questioning? Well, sure. I guess um, one of the questions that kind of occurred to me as Rich has been talking about how you know, he initially got involved in the subject, not like a lot of people, as someone who has a UFO experience, but coming across the subject and then beginning to learn more about it. I just kind of wonder how when the penny dropped, so to speak, and the realization hit home that this is a real phenomenon. I mean, did that yeah. kind of galvanize you? Did you feel you are, you know, you need this story needed to get out there because people just weren't fully aware of it? it yeah, there was there were a couple of uh, little epiphanies, Nick, that uh, occurred to me. And in fact, it's, it's somewhat related to uh, what I was just about to discuss anyway regarding government documents. One of the, the key early documents that I read that really got got me energized is, is a famous one among researchers, and that's the uh, the Twining Memo of 1947, mm -hmm. 
Uh, I'm sure many people listening have heard of it, but for those who haven't, it's, it was a document written by a then three-star general, Nathan Twining, who later went on to get four stars and uh, became Air Force Chief of Staff. And in 1947, Twining was uh, answering requ- a request from another general, uh, Charles Shulgin, relating to the, the status of these flying saucers. Uh, Shulgin had asked, basically, is there anything that I need to do about this? W- what is you know, what is going on with these flying saucers? Uh, Twining wrote back a, a memo, which had a lot of detail, and he repeated uh, a lot of the statements that were being collected by military uh, agencies describing the, the characteristics of these disks. And more, the key thing that Twining said to him was that the phenomenon, the reported phenomenon, is real, not visionary or fictitious, and then went on to describe the characteristics of it as reported by military personnel. The characteristics were quite fascinating to me. Silent or nearly silent, evasive upon being sighted, well-kept formations of flight. And one of the key things he said was a flat on bottom, domed on top in terms of the shape. I asked myself what objects in 1947 would be flat on the bottom and domed on top. Nothing officially that's supposed to exist. So I remember reading that in, in around 1994, thinking, well, that is interesting. And at that time, as as I mentioned earlier, I was deep in the heart of studying U.S. Cold War strategy of exactly that period of time, late 1940s. And I thought, if they were truly interested in this, well, that's that's the part of the historical record, and it's very interesting. So that was a a key moment. Uh, As I discovered, that's a completely legitimate memo, and there are many others of a similar type of nature that were equally compelling. I guess, you know, based on the fact that your book is very historical in nature, you know, you go back to the early days, one of the things I've found, and I wonder if you've found this as well, is that many people who are new to the subject are sort of woefully ignorant of the very good, strong history of the subject. You know, I, I, I right. think you get this, but I get a lot of talk at lectures and conferences asking about Area 51, alien autopsy. Oh, God, yeah. Things really, that surfaced, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. Right. And I get a lot of blank looks when you start picking out names from years gone by. And that's what I liked about your book. And I just wondered how important you feel it is to sort of put it in its whole context, you know, the, the important history from the early days. Well, it was the fundamental reason I wrote the book, Nick, uh, truthfully. I, I recall uh, thinking, still when I was in the, the early research period of, of this book, before I'd really written any of it, uh, I've always had a theory about any subject, which is that there should always be a good 500-page book that deals with the subject uh, in all of its important facets. Uh, I've had a lot of, I'm sure all of us have a lot of 500-page books on my shelf dealing with uh, this topic or that topic or that nation's history and so on. And I thought there really ought to be something for the UFO field. And uh, looking around and really not finding one to my satisfaction, I, I did set out to try to write that. Uh, I do feel that uh, losing our history is, is always something we have to be careful of. And um, I, I wanted, at least to the best of my ability, to write a clear uh, reasonably comprehensive and reliable history of this phenomenon uh, that would be useful for, for people today and for people uh, in the future. Okay. I mean, um, just so that we don't forget. We don't forget the history. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. And I guess just as a fellow author, um, I mean, did you get a, the sort of back, the response from the readers, so to speak, was that what you expected? I mean, did you get, you know, sort of intriguing <clears throat> comments? I mean, did you get any sort of official interest, that sort of thing? 
when I was writing the book, I, I wrote it almost uh, completely by stealth, as I used to sometimes say. I mean, nobody knew who I was. Uh, when, when the book finally appeared in uh, mid, really, it started appearing in late 2000, about a little over about 10 years ago. Uh, I think people were, a lot of them were, were very surprised because they'd never heard of me, and this was a fairly substantial book. I was hoping that I would get positive feedback. I didn't really know how that would work out. Um, I was pleased by a lot of the feedback that I got uh, from some people who were who had government background, some scientists who had a lot of intelligence community background, and a number of them wrote to me saying, uh, hey, great job. Uh, you got a couple of things wrong here and there, but overall, I love your book. I was very, very happy when I, um, <laughs> I got a real thrill when I first wrote to the astronaut Edgar Mitchell, uh, trying to get one famous person to endorse my book. I thought, I just want one person who's really well known who will put in a good word for me, and, and it was a, I considered it a Hail Mary pass to, to get Dr. Mitchell to, uh, even look at the book. But fortunately for me, he did, and he, he said it was, he liked it, and I was able to get an endorsement. Um, actually, I got that endorsement out of him about a week before I had to finalize the book to get it to the printer. I think I was in danger of becoming a serious pest to him, but he finally relented and said, yeah, just just go with the quote. That's fine. <laughs> I, I wanted his quote on the front cover, no question about it. <laughs> well, I guess uh, a NASA astronaut quote, you can't get much better than that. So. <laughs> well, it was it was absolutely the best that I was able to get, and I was happy to get it. Absolutely. Well, that's cool. Okay, good. Yeah. And, you know, having written two very extensive volumes now, I mean, where do you feel we're at, you know, in terms of, yes, we're getting the information out there, but to what extent are people listening, and more importantly, to what extent do you think we're making a difference or, or able to make a difference in terms of hopefully resolving the, the issue one day? Yeah, it's such a good question. It's such a hard question to answer. The, the UFO field uh, has often, we, you know, we're just perennially uh, set apart from the rest of society in a lot of ways um, in the sense that we've got very dedicated, loyal readers, people who are very dedicated to the topic, but there continually is this failure to break through to a a large mainstream audience. I do see that changing a little bit in the last few years, not in, not in terms of books so much as through film and, uh, and television. I'm thinking of James Fox, who's been able to make uh, a number of appearances on the Larry King show. There have been a few television venues in which some intelligent and serious researchers have been able to make make their case. Okay, we'll get into more of that in a moment. We have Richard M. Dolan and our co-host this week, Paul Kimball, Nicholas Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Okay, neighbors, here's the problem. Face-to-face -face business meetings with clients and colleagues are always going to be important. But business travel is a hassle, and it's often a complete waste of money. Well, here's a solution for you. Do more. Travel less with GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting is an award-winning online meeting service brought to you by Citrix. With just a click, host sales presentations, training sessions, or product demos right from your own desk. Avoid the hassle of traveling and still exceed your sales goals. Plus, GoToMeeting is just $49 a month for unlimited online meetings. Plus, voice over IP and phone conferencing is included. My listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 45 days 
For this special offer, visit gotomeeting.com slash podcast. Once again, go to meeting free for 45 days. Visit gotomeeting.com slash podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Remain in your houses. The President of the United States has declared martial law under Executive Order 11004. Will they do it? Will they pull the trigger this time? We all pray they stand down, but an engineered crisis seems more likely with each passing day. Think it can't happen here? Executive Order 10990 locks down all highways. Executive Order 10995 seizes control of all media outlets. Executive Order 10998 controls all farms and food supplies. All these executive orders are now cocked, loaded, and waiting for the right crisis. So if you're worried about the possibility of martial law here in America or have questions about how to survive it, go to MartialLawSurvival.com. That's MartialLawSurvival.com. Go to MartialLawSurvival.com right now. You must remain in your houses until your bracelets are scanned. Question, what would you rather drink, acidic water which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass, or alkaline water which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. I just want to hear more of it. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Paracast. Co-host Nick Redfern and Paul Kimball. Our guest is Richard M. Dolan. Paul Kimball, you have the floor. Excellent. Well, this is the moment everybody's been waiting for, I'm sure, and I'm not going to ask Rich about UFOs. Instead, I want to ask you, Rich, about, we'll talk about UFOs in a minute, but I want to ask you about the other part of your book's title, because it is UFOs and 
the national security state. Perhaps you could talk a bit about the national, what do you mean by the national security, leaving aside UFOs, what do you mean by the national security state? What should your readers understand that as a concept in sort of the broader picture of how our society is structured? Perhaps you can talk a bit about that. Yeah, great, great question. Thank you for asking it, Paul. Um, I do see uh, American society and really global society uh, in general as, as having evolved uh, over the, the past century, uh, without a doubt, in terms of how the um, governing structures are situated. So uh, the United States was founded uh, over two centuries ago explicitly as a republic, something that was in opposition to the concept of uh, monarchy. Uh, the American Republic has had a long history. It's gone through a lot of changes and permutations. I would argue, and certainly not alone in this, I hope, that since the Second World War in particular, the, the form of the U.S. government has gone through some, some changes that have really weakened and maybe even uh, mortally wounded the, the traditional republic that we many of us have grown to, to love or learn about in, in school. Uh, so what is it that we actually have? What form of government do we truly have? When I look at the United States government, I see a sprawling apparatus that's dominated more and more every year by an unanswerable intelligence community, black budget, special access programs, and the like. And so what do we actually have? I'm not sure if, uh, if classical political philosophy has given us a proper name for it, but it's, it's something other than a republic. And so uh, calling it a national security state, I think, is descriptive. It's a state that, along the lines of uh, you know, Dwight Eisenhower's farewell address when he ta- warned about the dangers of a, of a military-industrial complex, I think the national security state is, is something along these lines. It's not quite government. It's not quite private. It's a, a sprawling nexus of both of those things. Well, um, that still nevertheless take tax dollars along the way. <laughs> I, I remember once having a conversation, I think when I first met you, which I believe was in Aztec many years ago when I was doing the Majestic 12 film, and you were kind enough to be interviewed for that. And you talked about the concept of American fascism. Now, I used to be one of those people that, you know, my hackles would get raised whenever <laughs> somebody would say American fascism or that idea that maybe the United States is is evolving or devolving, depending on how you look at it, into a fascist state. And I, because I spent most of my time as a young historian studying the Nazis, I I equated fascism with Nazism. But then you realize that that was just one manifestation of fascism. fascism. Fascism, as it was originally envisioned in Italy by Mussolini, was a very corporatist state where the government and the corporations merged, if not quite a military-industrial complex, a statist military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And somebody I remember, and I can't quite remember who it was, but said fascism won't arrive in the United States in brown shirts and jackboots. It will arrive in business suits, in essence, and briefcases, and corporate type of, of paraphernalia. It, fascism arrives in each society in different guises, akin to that society. Do you think that's what's happened in the United States, that, that there is this... We're not talking Hitler and his brown shirts, but we're talking no. about something that in an American context is just as bad. And you know what? An awful lot sneakier, frankly. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and like you, by the way, Paul, I, I studied uh, the, Hitler, the Nazi regime to an excruciating degree for many, many years. I've, on my shelf, I'm looking at uh, lot, lots of books dealing with the Third Reich. And um, 
I'm very aware that academic, academicians are very particular when you talk about fascism to say that it was a historical phenomenon uh, referring to Mussolini, Hitler, and Franco and, and, you know, related regimes of that particular time. But I think that that's, that's taking a very parochial view of it, and I, I'm glad that I think you and I might be on, on the same page here in the sense that here's a, here's a question that I asked myself a number of years ago when my, my children were quite a bit smaller. I was watching them at a playground uh, with a bunch of other kids, and parents are sitting down on benches reading newspapers, listening to whatever they were doing, and I was I was thinking, as I often do, about the horrible state of the world, and thinking, you know, these kids are utterly oblivious to uh, to so many of the bad things that are going on today, and of course that's good, they're kids, but I thought, well, how how many adults really are fully aware of what is going on uh, in their own country, and then it occurred to me that I had this question, which is, can you have a fascist state without people knowing it? Can you have an invisible fascism, so to speak? And I thought the answer to that is yes. Well, of course you can. You know, certainly the people who are who own the, all the goodies in, in this country and around the world today aren't so stupid as to throw swastikas on their troops and have them marching in brown shirts up, down, up and down the street. Uh, people would recoil to that. But you can make a fascist state much more attractive, much more sexy. Just turn on your TV, zone out, uh, stop paying attention to what's actually going on. If you have the, a, a corporatist state, which includes, of course, mass media, which is a uh, big part of the picture, and when you have an alliance between the major media and the intelligence community, which we know has happened over more than the last 50 years, then how hard is it? Uh, there's always going to be people who, who wake up and resist that, but the, the large majority of people are, they don't have the time, they don't have the energy, they don't have the wherewithal to question all of that. They have jobs, they have families to raise and so forth. And so, uh, yes, I think that's what we can be looking at. And, you know, this isn't 1933, it's not 1935 where, so fascism won't look like Hitler's version, it won't look like Mussolini's. We're in the year 2010, we're in a completely different era. And so I think we should expect that a, a version of fascism today would look different. It would look a little more sophisticated, as a matter of fact. I, I think the mechanism that you're seeing, and, and uh, I certainly don't disagree with you, I mean, perhaps on some small points, but in the general thrust, as each year passes, more and more, I, I agree with you in the way our society is going. And I travel back in time over 2,000 years to the fall of the Roman Republic, which didn't really fall. It's not like when Hitler took over even Mussolini, it would happen fairly quickly. The instruments of the new state were in place, in Hitler's case, quite quickly. In Mussolini's case, right. it took a little longer, and it was never fully completed. But in the Roman Empire, I mean, Augustus didn't use mm -hmm. the title of emperor. It was no, the six, right. you know, so he reigned for decades without actually. And the Senate, the Senate continued to yes. uh, convene, and they continued to do things. I mean, toward the end, they were a little more than uh, the city council of Rome, but the Senate continued right on through the remaining uh, days of the empire for the next five hundred years. Yeah, and I think what you're seeing is, and maybe fascism is the wrong word, although I think right. it's also the right word, is you're seeing an imperial America. You're seeing a republic morph into an empire, and I, it, I've th always thought that. It, after 1945, the United States simply replaced, which is ironic considering how Americans, and especially Roosevelt, <laughs> viewed the British Empire, they basically replaced the British as the holders of the Anglo-Saxon world order, if you will, or empire. Yes, and so that's right. The center of power, as it transferred from Rome to 
Byzantium transferred, in this case, from London to New York. I think that's an excellent analogy. Did I just say? Yeah, excellent analogy. And in fact, the Brits uh, really almost explicitly requested this in the immediate post-war years anyway. Uh, I think in 1947, relative to Greece. So yes, I take your point and um, uh, agree that you know what? What is it that we have? Is it fascism? Is it some other version of authoritarianism? I think we can quibble over the details. The reason, by the way, that I named my book UFOs and the national security state then is because uh, it's always been important to me to to try to understand the relationship between these two things. The UFO phenomenon didn't just drop into anyone's lap. It it dropped, so to speak, into the lap of the American national security elite that were more than anyone else really in a position to try to deal with it. I'll tell you what, we're being dropped into another lap here, which is called Station Breaks. We have Richard Dolan, our co-hosts, Paul Kimball, and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Hey, neighbors, have you been thinking about starting a website? Well, I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a world-famous leader in web hosting, and they make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and great selection of templates. Use the coupon code POWERCAST. Once again, use the coupon code POWERCAST and sign up at this special address, thepowercast.com slash gator. That's G-A-T-O-R, thepowercast.com slash gator. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits normal blood pressure naturally how would that make you feel i'm don from new mexico january of 2000 i had a heart attack then my real health began going downhill and i had uh, high blood pressure high blood sugar poor vision and i really wasn't sleeping well i was a mess pretty much don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract i started taking uh, heart and body extract and from within a few days i started sleeping a lot better my blood pressure uh, normalized my blood sugar normalized and uh, my sleep really did improve experience these benefits and more when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of heart and body extract order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 that's hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 and folks I did not expect this at all by the 7th, 8th and ninth day I saw dramatic improvements from taking heart and body extract details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract Where have all the military surplus stores gone? Don't worry, you don't need one. Because everything you need at military surplus is at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com, one of the last surviving true military surplus stores in the country. Go online now to MainMilitary.com and discover a source for hard-to-find surplus items at true surplus prices. Surplus gun cleaning kits as low as $2.99. Complete chemical suits as low as $11.99. See our huge selection of gas masks, filters, and accessories. Finish it. 
Standard M10 gas masks are three for thirty dollars, and Swiss filters are three for twelve dollars. Searching for Strike Anywhere matches, MainMilitary.com has them, plus a whole new product line of survival and first aid kits and lots more. Get free shipping on orders over fifty dollars only at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com, or call eight seven seven six zero eight zero one seven nine eight seven seven six zero eight zero one seven nine. MainMilitary.com, the main name in military supply. When you hear the words water purification, what comes to mind? If it's Berkey Water Purification Systems, this message is for you. Did you know that over 60% of municipal water contains fluoride at less than two cents per gallon? Berkey Water Filters purify treated and untreated water, remove dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and contaminants from municipal water. These filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water, making them perfect for rainwater collection systems. From the smallest to the largest systems, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has what you need. With your system purchase, you'll receive a shower filter, a fluoride filter, or two sport Berkey bottles absolutely free. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com would like to offer GCN listeners 5% off all ceramic filter systems and ship all orders over $50 free of charge. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY today. Ten years. A decade of talk. Great Talk Radio is here on the Genesis Communications Network. You're in the parapet. You never know what's going to happen next. Our guest this week, Richard Dolan, author of UFOs and the National Security State, which is so far a two-volume set with a third coming sometime in the future. Our co-hosts are Nick Redfern and Paul Kimball. Now, there was an interesting story this week that has become available from the Washington Post about national security called Top Secret America, a hidden world growing beyond control. And I think Richard's going to have a comment about this. Let me read the first paragraph, okay? The top-secret world the government created in response to the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, has become so large, so unwieldy, and so secretive that no one knows how much money it costs, how many people it employs, how many programs exist within it, or exactly how many agencies do the same work. So, Richard Doe, when I ask you, is it quite possible they could have something going on in there regarding UFOs, space travel, whatever, secret space travel? We wouldn't know anything about it. We don't know what's happening in the security departments these days. I can't prove that they do, but I believe absolutely that they do, Gene. And that is a, that's a great article. Everyone should, should read it. Um, one of the things that um, I've, I've really come to believe regarding the, the UFO topic and the, the development of the national security state is how integral, almost certainly, that the, the UFO secrecy has been to the creation of, of the black budget uh, system that we have today. And, you know, students of the, the American black budget, I think, in general, they don't appreciate just how important the UFO topic is to this field. For example, if, if I uh, mentally rewind the clock back to the late 1940s uh, and pretend that I'm Harry Truman and uh, some of my top people have come to me and, and informed me that this phenomenon of flying saucers is real and that apparently we've recovered, which I think has happened, technology that wasn't manufactured by human hands. So let's just pretend that that did happen. If it did, certainly what I would need to do is to organize my 
top people around me and to say, you know, let's figure this out um, and and maybe break down the division of labor. So one person's job will be to, um, you know, control the media aspects of it. One person's job will be to uh, try to find out how bad the public panic might be. And another person's job would be to find a way for industry to study this technology so that we could do something with it and so forth. And this is where I think the black budget comes in because if you're going to develop some kind of scientific R&D infrastructure to study acquired technology, you, you obviously can't let the Soviets know about it in this early period of the Cold War. And that means you really can't let Congress know about it because even if some congressmen know about it, it's almost certainly going to leak at some point. So the idea would be that this has to be ultra, ultra secret. And what that means, of course, is an end run around your formal constitutional uh, practices. You have to do it in, in your own eyes in order to uh, fund a program that nobody can know about. And what if it turns out to be a fairly expensive program? So what you have, in other words, in the late 1940s, I think, is the genesis of a black budget, much of which concern the UFO topic. And so the UFO phenomenon has a very integral relationship to the, uh, the United States black budget, I would argue. And so now with articles like that have come out in the Post, uh, while we're dealing with a I was going to say an invisible empire, but it's not so invisible. It's a completely <laughs> sprawling empire that is answerable basically to no one, to no citizen. Yes, I think we can trace a lot of this uh, to the UFO phenomenon 60 years ago. Okay, so let's look at some of the broader aspects here. The thing that worries me about these long-term government programs is how do you continue them from administration to administration? We know maybe the president doesn't know. Maybe Congress doesn't know. But we know that military leadership is going to be changing over the years. So how do you keep this going from one degree to another, of one set of leadership to another set of right. leadership? Well, I, I've asked this question as well. I was uh, fortunate enough to have a chat a couple of times. It's actually become sort of friendly now. A gentleman who was a very high-level CIA um, official. Uh, this man knows more than one U.S. president. I know that. I think he's a good guy. He's a very, very intelligent man. And I had the opportunity to ask him, how much do U.S. presidents know about this topic? You know, every researcher who's got a chance to ask this, I think, would probably want to ask it. So I thought I would run this by him. And his answer was, well, uh, some know more than others. Um, he said, you know, think of it this way. And presidents come and presidents go. Some of them are around for four years, some maybe eight. Some are emotionally stable, others not so much. He said, some drink. He said that to me. Some are just not reliable. He says there are career people involved in this, and they're here forever. He said, so the question is, how much does a president, how much can a president know, and how much should a president know? Um, and one thing, you know, logistically speaking, when you're dealing with all of the black budget programs that we, we have, hundreds and hundreds, it's actually just almost impossible for any acting any sitting president to be briefed on all of these. He's got to go on kissing the baby, shaking hands, attending G20 meetings, and so on. Um, it's, it's really not in the president's capability to comprehend all of these black budget programs, and the UFO topic is one of these. So who's running it? Well, here's what it looks like to me. It looks to me that over the decades just as has happened with many other facets of the intelligence community, that much of this has gone private. 
more and more private. Now, that doesn't mean that there is no government interaction with the UFO topic. But I think um, my guideline for understanding this is, uh, is an article that I read uh, came out about 10 years ago by aviation writer Bill Sweetman. Bill Sweetman did a study of special access programs, in other words, of the black budget. And what he argued, what he discovered, he said, was that the black budget programs that are within the Pentagon uh, increasingly are dominated by the private contractors, not by the Pentagon uh, personnel. That the, the dominant uh, decision makers were the corporations, whether Lockheed, Boeing, Raytheon, and so forth, not the, the Pentagon liaisons, who increasingly functioned primarily as gatekeepers for money, for, as funding uh, conduits, but often not a lot more. Now, that was Sweetman's conclusion regarding just special, you know, uh, standard black budget programs. But um, the individuals that I've been able to speak with who've had, who tell me that they've had connection with UFO-related black budget programs have said essentially the same type of thing, that uh, this, is, this is something in which formal government channels increasingly are out of the loop. And really, I ask myself, is that so hard to believe? Uh, you look at how uh, American foreign policy has been conducted over the past several decades, and it's only got the most thin veneer of uh, political independence. It's really running for, as I see it, and I think a lot of people see it, for international financial groups that basically strong-arm the government into doing what they want it to do. So uh, I don't think it's any different relating to the UFO topic. It's it's interesting when you mention that. I'm just looking at that uh, Top Secret America Washington Post article, and on the first page it says, among their investigations findings include that some 1,000, this is sobering stuff, some 1,271 government organizations and 1,931 private companies work on programs related to counterterrorism, homeland security, and intelligence in about 10,000 locations across the United States. God so, yeah. so there's a couple yeah. of things you could take out of that. One, there's more private companies by a factor of about one and a half than government organizations working on, let's say, homeland security intelligence operations. Mm -hmm. And two, if you live anywhere in the United States, they're probably doing it in your town in some yeah. other. So, well, they're certainly doing it in Arizona, I'll tell you that. Yeah, if you're wondering where the U.S. national security apparatus is, walk down your main street and take a look, because that's probably where it is. And that that should be sobering to anybody. And if you so to all those people who say, well, where? And again, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. In fact, I, I tend to disagree about um, some of the UFO conclusions, even as I keep an open mind. But one of the reasons why I would keep an open mind is when you look at a statistic like that, it's very difficult for me to give credence to somebody who would just give a blank denial and say, well, the U.S. government could never keep those kinds of secrets, could they? Well, of course they could. There's 1,931 private companies they can bury it in, and there's 1,271 government organizations they can bury it in, and parts of it in. So if you can if you compartmentalize it, then you can at least make a legitimate rational case, I think, that if there is alien technology, it could be covered up. That leaves us, of course, with the question of whether there is alien technology that we've right. covered or not. 
but if you can if you can prove that to me, I have no problem believing that it could be buried somewhere right next to the Ark of the Covenant on Main Street in Topeka, Kansas. It's not in Warehouse 13 then, Paul, right? Hey, i got to tell everybody we have Richard Dolan joining us this week on the PowerCast. If you want to find out more of what we do, go to thepowercast.com with a T-H-E, thepowercast.com, our co-host this week. Nick Redfern and Paul Kimball. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We are talking with Richard Dolan. You're in the Paracast. I'm Gene Steinberg. Our co-hosts are Paul Kimball and Nicholas Redfern. Nick, it's your turn. Well, one of the things that just kind of occurred to me when Paul and uh, Rich were just, you know, going back and forth on this whole issue of the national security state and this almost like monolithic secrets buried within secrets, etc., as it relates to national security in general, I'm just wondering what Rich's views are on how, when it comes to US, UFOs specifically, how we can even try and penetrate this entity, if you like, and, and get the information that, you know, seems to be hidden there. You know, I mean, I think the Freedom of Information Act has proven to be a useful tool, and we have intriguing and very credible witness testimony, but we always seem to be one step away from nailing it and getting the hard evidence, and I just wonder if Rich has any views, you know, hard views or, or just hypothetical ideas on how we really motivate the community I guess, politicians, if we can, you know, to, 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 to get past that step that we never seem to be able to get away from. Yeah, well, this is uh, actually the theme of, a, of another book that I'm writing and finishing right now with a co-author. Um, it's, been my, it's been my belief that something along the lines of a, of a breakthrough in the secrecy, let's say some form of disclosure, which is the word that everyone loves to use, is it's uh, something of a paradox. I see it as impossible, but I also see it as inevitable. Uh, I, see, I see a breakthrough as impossible in the sense that uh, there, there's no motivation, none, that I see that the, the the secret keepers, let's say, have in revealing this secret. I don't I don't see them ever wanting to do this. Um, nevertheless, I I see the end of secrecy as as an inevitability. Uh, I don't yet I haven't yet decided what I think the trigger of that is going to be. I think it's very possible though that it could be 
a, a multiply recorded mass sighting that just somehow makes the breakthrough and, is, and becomes undeniable. And I think that that's possible because when I look at the trajectory of our own recent technology and our development over the past 50 years and, good God, over the past 100 years, it's very easy to see when you take the long view how we are on we're going up like a rocket ship into like this new era of technology. In other words, 2010 is certainly not like 1990, and it certainly isn't like 1950. Just think of uh, the changes that we've had in our world in the last five years. We, we've developed YouTube, which didn't exist before 2005, and uh, and cell phones that really aren't, aren't just cell phones, but they're uh, personal assistants that really have the whole web right on there. And iPhones it's, with antenna problems. Well, that's right. I got a, I got a neat little Android, which I'm, I'm kind of digging. But the thing is, these phones are just another sign of, of the kind of leapfrogging technology that we've, we're developing. And I, I really wonder, you know, where are we going to be at in another 10 or 20 years from now, um, 30 to 40 to 50 years from now? Uh, by that time, most uh, experts who, who are interested in things like artificial intelligence believe that even even say 30 years from now we are very likely to be close to or having gotten to the point where computing intelligence surpasses human intelligence in other words we're reinventing our society so if if i hypothesize between now and say 100 years from now do i see that in, within 100 years we will have gotten to a point where the scientific infrastructure of our whole society will make it obvious that UFOs are a reality and some form of non-human intelligence? I think the answer to that is yes. So then I ask myself, well, what, when along the, the timeline from now to 100 years are we likely to hit that point? I don't know when that will be, but I think that it will happen. In other words, we are, you know, time is not standing still here. We are moving along a path, and I just believe that the continuing transformation of the technological foundations of our society are going to trigger something that is going to be an undeniable event. Uh, and I could be wrong. It could also be that we're moving in toward a kind of global police state in which all information is completely controlled, and even, even with all of our new techno toys of the future, we still can't make the breakthrough. But I, I somehow believe that the situation's fluid enough that, that we are going to make this breakthrough. I just don't know how it will happen. I guess I'll call it a faith <laughs> a, a leap of faith. I'm I'm an awful lot um, less optimistic about that than you are. I actually see us moving towards what I would call a national surveillance state. And uh, I love Nick's blog. He has a blog called Night of the Living Jackboots, isn't it, Nick? Where right, he, yeah. yeah, where he monitors the, the to and fro of the surveillance state in the United Kingdom. But let's run with your thing. One of the things I've always enjoyed talking with you about, Rich, is artificial intelligence, the concept of the spike of yeah. when machine intelligence becomes perhaps sentient. I like to call mm -hmm. it the terminator point. Yeah, <laughs> Which, right. You know, is a kind of a depressing thing. But I was going to say I'll be back, but it's not for another four minutes. I'm sorry. I'll be back, <laughs> maybe. But if we look, let's just assume on a very, I think, conservative estimate that in a hundred years, you know, longer than perhaps those of us on this show have to live. In a hundred years, we will have developed computer intelligence, artificial intelligence that would achieve some form of sentience where, you know, literally we become God. And maybe, you know, frankly, they're a lot smarter than us at that point. Or right. we, we have enhanced ourselves 
cybernetically, if you will, to exactly. such a point that we will have become the machine intelligence. If we're looking at space visitors coming from away to here, what do you think the odds, Rich, are that we're dealing with some form of biological entity as opposed to the likelihood that we are dealing with an artificial intelligence that when you say non-human intelligence, we mean non-human intelligence, and they are, if say, 500 years more advanced than us or 1,000 or even 200, they mm -hmm. are so totally alien to everything that we represent as a society, um, as, as, a, as a race, that perhaps they're just up there waiting for us to reach that point where we become machines like them. Um, well, yeah, what, do you, what do you think of that? There's a, there's a lot in that statement. Um, I will say that I think back in 2003 I wrote an article, uh, the first that I'm aware of in the UFO field that really dealt explicitly with this topic of uh, the UFO phenomenon as having an, a strong AI component. Uh, it was actually not long after I had been really turned on my head by uh, the great book by Ray Kurzweil, The Age of, Intelli of Spiritual Machines, a very great book. Uh, Kurzweil, in fact, does believe that the idea that uh, what we're going to see in the future is a merger more than a takeover, uh, that human and machine intelligence will kind of merge. Be that as it may, uh, that really did get me thinking. Uh, if we see ourselves as hitting the spike or the singularity in a certain period of time, would not another uh, technological civilization somewhere else have achieved that? And if so, wouldn't that be the form in which they're dealing with? I, all we can do is speculate. Uh, one thing that I would speculate is that, you know, if I'm thinking, will any of us make it in a trip to the nearest star, which is a little over four light years away, the answer is, well, no, we don't really see a way for us to do that. But in 50 to 100 years, will we have artificially intelligent ships or artificially intelligent machines that can do it? I think, sure, why not? And if they arrive at another place that's so, so distant, would they have the wherewithal the ability to interact with any native life forms that they may find, and if so, how would they do it? One speculation that I would have is that they might take native genetic material, native life forms, and sort of construct their own little workers out of it. You know, one of the ideas uh, from the late Mac Tawney, so I know all of, all of you here knew Mac very well and were admirers of him as I am. Mac, in his last book, The Crypto Terrestrials, uh, wrote uh, a little bit about why he didn't believe in the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and he described the types of creatures that people describe, so reptoids, uh, insectoids, and humanoids. And as he pointed out, we have all of those on Earth. We have reptiles. We have insects. We have uh, humans. So, you know, what are people really seeing? I don't know, but one possibility might be that a visiting intelligence might well have taken native genetic material from Earth and constructed their own variant uh, to do their own work for them. Just a thought. I guess uh, the idea of AI, though, is, is fundamental to how I look at the UFO phenomenon. I'll tell you again to AI and other considerations in a moment. We have Richard Dolan, our co-hosts are Paul Kimball and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. 
Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. How well and how fast does heart and body extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen. My name is Ellis, and I'm 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused, knowing the negative side effects. Heart and Body Extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level. Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely normal. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Call 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Originally, we the people have entrusted government to be the guardians of currency to ensure purity, content, weights, and measures of gold and silver coins citizens would use for commerce. This reinstalled confidence after the demise of the fiat continental system. Wisdom being lost with time, the government we once entrusted to protect from counterfeit has colluded with private business, creating the largest fiat counterfeiting scheme our country ever experienced. This is not only a transfer of power to an institution that is not accountable to our elected government, but has also caused the dollar to lose more than 90 cents of its original value. Now foreign governments are trying to divest themselves from this once world reserve currency. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm offering a book that explains how the system works. Call me today at 800-686-2237. I will give you a silver dollar free just for purchasing the book. Call today at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. If you suffer from poor sleep, you've got to try my pillow. Introducing the most revolutionary, most comfortable, and coolest pillow ever, my pillow. Imagine your very own custom fit pillow. My pillow is the only pillow of its kind on the market that uses a patented fill, custom made to your exact individual needs. My pillow is 100% made in the USA and has a natural built-in cooling effect that keeps your cervical nerves cool, and that helps you get the best REM sleep possible. My pillow helps alleviate snoring, migraine, sleep apnea, and other sleeping disorders. My pillow is antimicrobial, non-allergenic, dust mite resistant, machine washable and dryable, comes in many sizes and will not go flat. And best of all, MyPillow comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose? Except poor sleep. Go to MyPillowShop.com, mention coupon code GCN, and receive up to $40 off. That's MyPillowShop.com. Or call 952-442-6199. That's 952-442-6199. MyPillow, for the rest of your life. Tired of searching for great talk radio? There's a a wide range of stuff on here. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. 
We have Richard Dolan, author of two volumes so far of UFOs in the National Security State. Our co-hosts this week are Nick Redfern and Paul Kimball. You're in the Paracast. I'm Gene Steinberg. Paul, you want to follow up on that? Artificial intelligence. <sighs> sure, because I love where this conversation is going. I was in, and I think I've mentioned this on the Paracast once or twice, so I'm allowed, I, I drop names every now and then too. I was in London last year mm. in June, and I attended a lecture by Nishio Kaku at the RSA where he talked about his new book, The Physics of the Impossible. And I had a chance to ask him a question. Because uh, there was a Q&A afterwards, and lots of people had questions, including somebody about coal fusion. And um, if you ever want to see one of our foremost string theorists roll his eyes, just have somebody mention coal fusion. <laughs> because he did. But so then I raise my hand, and I ask a question, and I say, look, you've written, Dr. Kaku, in your books that there's a galactic conversation going on. You can start to hear the snickers. I'm not kidding. My friend Holly Stevens is there. Snickers in the audience. I go, which implies that there's obviously an extraterrestrial or extraterrestrial civilizations out there. More mm -hmm. Snickers. You crazy UFO guy. Mm -hmm. and, and so I said, well, what do you think the chances are of us tuning into that conversation anytime soon? How far away are we from perhaps being able to listen into that conversation and understand it? And then mm -hmm. there were a few more questions. They took about six altogether. He ignored the other five. And I think this is relevant to how people view the UFO phenomenon. He ignored the other five. He went straight to mine. He said, I'll answer that one from the handsome young guy in the Boston Red Sox cap. <laughs> if I'd been wearing a Phillies cap, probably not. But, and he went on at some length for two reasons. One, I think it showed him I had actually read his books, and I don't think maybe everybody there had. And two, uh, he really seemed motivated by this, that this idea that there is this conversation. He said, well, look. Type zero civilization where we are, then type one, type two, type three. Mm. Um, if they're in a type two or type three civilization, they are talking at a, like us, and we're ants. And so we would speak, and the ants on the sidewalk wouldn't even know we're there. And he said, we're, we're so far away from understanding that galactic conversation that I can't put a timeline on it. And I said, mm. well, thank you very much, Dr. Kaku. To me, that showed two things, though, and I know this is kind of long-winded, but one, serious people take the UFO phenomenon, take the concept, and I know he does, and take the concept of extraterrestrial intelligences very seriously indeed. But two, he's also written about the idea of artificial intelligence and where we might be going as a species. And so to continue on, Rich, with what you were talking about, this idea that and I, I find this quite interesting. I've I got to admit, I hadn't wrapped my mind around this, that if the aliens, for lack of a better term, are coming here, perhaps they don't even have a body. Perhaps they're flying, um, you know, the ships could be teeny tiny. Mm -hmm. And they're you know, basically computer intelligence, you know, they've, they've uploaded themselves to the holodeck, if you are. They're, right. they're little more than, you know, when you see the sort of, heads and the Star Trek things, thoughts. It's basically they've evolved to maybe Kaku's level three civilization where they exist as creatures of thought. Who knows? Maybe as creatures of thought, they can travel without the aid of ships. Anyway, they come here and they have to, in order to interact with us, in order to somehow talk to the ants, they create, they use the genetic materials that exist on any given planet to create some sort of uh, avatar. Right. For, for lack of a better term, and one that is very popular now, that allows them to interact with the alien species. Do you yeah. think that might explain what we refer to as, what a lot of people refer to as the alien abduction phenomenon, or that it might tie into cattle mutilations in some way? 
What do you think? Well, I, I think, I think uh, this idea that these aliens may have taken native DNA from Earth, I hadn't encountered this anywhere else. This is just some speculation of my own. I think it's certainly a possibility, and, and I would always want to distinguish between what I feel that I know and, and what I think things might be. So right. I decided to put it to the category of what things might be, and I, I continue to entertain it as, a, as an actual working hypothesis, or is one hypothesis. The abduction phenomenon is something that I think is happening. I don't think it's, it's solely an, an ET-derived thing. I, I've come to feel that there's an active military or black ops component to this as well. And I only say this because I've personally spoken with too many individuals now, too many, who have convinced me that they've been taken by military groups and that they're not, they're not delusional. So I think that there's something that's very seriously going on there. I mean, I don't know how many people I can talk to before I start thinking, yeah, I think, I think it's happening. I've spoken to a few. What I think is happening is that for, for reasons that I still don't have all of the answers to, uh, these non-humans are taking people. Now, you know, there appears to be a breeding aspect to it. Uh, I don't think it's outrageous to think that they're creating some kind of hybrid species uh, by crossing human DNA with whatever it is they've got. I think that's a possibility. Uh, they might be interested in more arcane things about us. Um, I've spoken to a number of people who feel that they've been uh, used for, for psi abilities, that is psychic abilities, in the capacity of being with these, these non-humans and also the military groups. I can't prove this. But, uh, again, it's happened more than one time in my own investigations. I haven't published any of this stuff. I'm still trying to wrap my own head around it and figure out what is actually going on. So, in other words, what I've, I've really come to wonder is if there's a, a kind of a covert cold war, as it were, that's, that's happening below the surface of our official, official truths um, that has to do with uh, the national security apparatus, this this uh, very, very secretive and I think very advanced component of our own civilization. I've come to call them a breakaway civilization, in fact. And these non-humans, let's call them extraterrestrials out of convenience, but maybe they're something else. I just want to go to the uh, Paracast forums here for a second, um, because it's always good to give back to the community that gives so much to us. Um, and uh, I say that slightly tongue-in-cheek today. Um, there's a guy named Ron Collins who's one of the moderators, and, and we have a thread that says, you know, questions for Richard Dolan. And so this is kind of taking a left turn here. But he, he asks two things. He says, first of all, did Ike... Eisenhower, obviously, meet with aliens, and I'm sure you're aware of the, the story about Eisenhower having a meeting with aliens. So that, and two, do you believe or do you think that, quote, quote, men in black exist, and if so, who are they and, and what are they up to? So maybe we could talk briefly about the supposed meeting between Ike and aliens. Let's and split this up, Paul, so he'll yeah. answer the first part this section, and then the next segment we'll go to the second part. Eisenhower and aliens first, then, yeah. Well, I, um, I think it may well have happened. Um, I will say that the rumor of Ike meeting with aliens came out within a month of when it supposedly occurred. It appeared on the Frank Edwards radio show in, um, I think, late February, possibly early March 1954. Someone leaked something to the uh, radio host Frank Edwards, who was the Art Bell before there was Art Bell back in the 50s. Um, I didn't really 
take that story super seriously for a while. I still don't take it completely seriously, but I think it's possible. There have been um, uh, a couple of sources that have alleged that this has happened. I have not come across anything that definitively refutes them. And so I'm willing to consider it as a possibility. I don't see it as illogical either, to be honest with you. Um, if there's another intelligence that's here, uh, having a covert meeting with the U.S. president doesn't strike me as an outrageous uh, thing to consider. We're talking with Richard Dolan. And the topic, of course, was whether President Eisenhower met up with E.T. Our co-hosts are Paul Kimball, Nicholas Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. When you hear the words water purification, what comes to mind? If it's Berkey Water Purification Systems, this message is for you. Did you know that over 60% of municipal water contains fluoride? Add less than two cents per gallon. Berkey water filters purify treated and untreated water, remove dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and contaminants from municipal water. These filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water, making them perfect for rainwater collection systems. From the smallest to the largest systems, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has what you need. With your system purchase, you'll receive a shower filter, a fluoride filter, or two sport Berkey bottles absolutely free. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com would like to offer GCN listeners 5% off all ceramic filter systems and ship all orders over $50 free of charge. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY today. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- 346-6829 that's 800 34 no tax 
thousands of Americans are facing evacuation. If you or any of your loved ones might need to evacuate, you must do it yourselves. Please don't procrastinate until they do it for you. Remember the terrible conditions of those that didn't get out for Katrina. Go right now to efoodsdirect.com slash Alex or call 800-409-5633 for information on the new evacuation pack. It contains two weeks of delicious, easy-to-fix food along with the equipment to prepare it. It's packed in a rugged, heavy-duty tote for transport. Evacuations are looming with the storms and the Gulf oil catastrophe. No matter where you live, wildfires, earthquakes, floods, and storms must be escaped. Don't be like a deer frozen in the headlights of oncoming disaster. At least prepare yourself with this two-week evacuation pack from eFoodsDirect.com. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Our co-host is Nick Redfern and Paul Kimball. Our guest is Richard Dolan. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast, and we ended up the previous segment with speculation as to whether Eisenhower ever met up with E.T. So where do those rumors come from anyway? Well, I don't know how the rumor reached Frank Edward. I'm not sure if anyone knows that. This is I'm trying to pull this off the top of my head, and I think I'm failing here. There's uh, a series of there's a letter written by a gentleman uh, supposedly named Gerald Light. Uh, I recall reading that, thinking um, this described his uh, vantage point of what supposedly happened between the meeting with Eisenhower and ETs in February 1954. This supposedly happened at Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, there was another gentleman, and his name is escaping me, but I actually met him. He uh, spoke at uh, one of Steve Bassett's ex-conferences a couple of years ago, an uh, elderly gentleman who said that he was uh, at Edwards in 1954. He uh, didn't meet with Eisenhower, and he didn't meet with any aliens, but he was at Edwards at that time and uh, made a case of the fact that this, this did happen. So, uh, I'm, again, I'm at the point where I'm thinking it, it's certainly a possibility, and trying to nail it down is something that uh, I don't know how I would nail that one down at this point. Uh, the other question was, uh, what do I think of the men in black? Uh, I guess I would answer that in two ways. So certainly a lot of the, the alleged stories of the men in black have turned out to be either you know, non-credible or probably just fraudulent. Uh, there was very uh, recently... a, a I think a very good analysis of the Maury Island incident from 1947 that involved men in black. And this is by Tony uh, Bergaglia, who I think did an excellent job showing that the Maury Island incident was very probably a hoax. I think that could well be. And, and, you know, that being said, the men in black incident associated with Maury Island would be then a hoax as well. Men in black were associated with the um, researcher in the 50s. God, Gray Barker wrote about him. Albert K. Albert, Albert Bender, thank you guys. You see, some people think I'm actually senile, <laughs> and that all I ever say is UFOs are here to make us think, think, think. Right. But that's not true. I resemble that remark. Gene is yeah, like Bender. a specialist relief pitcher. You just bring him in when you have a Gray Barker question or something from the. We need a strikeout. Gene, come on in for the bullpen. <laughs> thank you, dude. Uh, yeah, I also Bender. control the stop button, so I have other authorities. <laughs> 
Exactly. He was another one who talked about an encounter with the so-called men in black, and uh, it, it seems very dubious that that happened with him. Who knows? There were some other men in black stories that I think are, are a little more credible. There's one concerning a Mexican witness from the, the mid-1970s that I personally think seems to have happened. I've, again, um, spoken. This is me speaking personally to two individuals who uh, have described what, I think anyone would, would say would be a men in black type of encounter. So I think that they they may well be. Certainly, look, there's a lot of government, uh, you know, black-suited goons out there who might be trying to intimidate witnesses of various types. And, in fact, we know for sure that, that government agents have from time to time interviewed UFO researchers. There's one from the late 1970s, Robert Todd, uh, who was uh, one of the early Freedom of Information uh, researchers, did receive a visit from uh, the FBI. They came into his living room to ask him about, uh, or I think it might be the NSA, to ask him about a document that he found in relation to an NSA monitoring of a, of a UFO event over Cuba in the 1960s. So, yeah, I mean, it could happen. I, I guess I would just leave it at that. Do you ever think possibly that some of these men in black things are really done by civilians who just want to stir up the pot and have some fun. I mean, we know like people like Ray Barker and Jim Mosley, years past, played a few pranks. They can't be the only pranksters on the planet. No, it could happen. Uh, certainly the Barker stories I, I wouldn't uh, take seriously. You know, and, and we know, actually, just coming off uh, at the top of my head here, uh, researcher William Moore, back when he was gone full guns in the 1980s, did have uh, kind of apparently some kind of phony government identification uh, that he showed another researcher showing that he was supposedly with some defense group that um, he didn't seem to have. I recounted that in my in the second volume of my book, in fact. So, yeah, people could be just lying. There's a lot of that. <laughs> Too much in the field. But do you ever think also that maybe there are these intelligence types who are getting involved overtly in the UFO field just to stir the pot up even further. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, I'm glad you brought that up again because this is something that I, I meant to uh, to discuss earlier, and it's, it is one of the theses of, of my latest book, I suppose, which is that what happened by the late 1970s is that, it, at least it seems to me, that there was a two-pronged assault on the citadel of secrecy. One of those prongs was the Freedom of Information Act, which, let's remind ourselves, back in the early 70s and 60s and before, was, was really an unforeseen development. There were a lot of classified documents pertaining to UFOs that the originators of those documents had no expectation ever that these documents would see the light of day. Uh, and yet, by the late 70s, they were. Now, those documents were of sort of mid-range classification. They weren't, you know, the ones that were top secret were all blacked out or whited out. Uh, the ones that were released were secret and confidential and restricted. These are lower levels. Nonetheless, they were important. A lot of them were very, very compelling documents. And so that was one fear, I believe, that uh, you shake the tree hard enough and something important is really going to fall out, and then you're going to have a hell of a time trying to, to explain it. The other prong on 
against secrecy, I, I think, were the stories pertaining to crash retrievals of UFOs, sightings of dead alien bodies that were, you know, in storage and so forth. And by the late 1970s, there were quite a few of these that were making the rounds. A lot of them were coming to the UFO researcher, Leonard Stringfield, who was collecting uh, dozens and then scores of these stories. Some were investigated pretty well, others not so much. But it certainly could look to, you know, if we were the secret group and we were, we were trying to keep all of this together, we might be really concerned that at some point, He's going to really hit a home run here with either a crash retrieval story um, or someone's going to shake the tree hard enough with the documents and get something important out of that way. And so what it looks to me happened uh, circa 1980 or 19, early 1980s is that there was, in fact, a sort of counterattack against the UFO research community by the intelligence community. Uh, part of this took the form of, uh, of Richard Doty, who was an intelligence officer at Kirtland Air Force Base with Office of Special Investigations. A lot of people know about Richard Doty. He was involved in uh, doctoring uh, documents. He was involved in, in trying to pass off um, information to the researcher Linda Moulton Howe back in 1983. And then a year and a half later, I was told point blank by Timothy Good was involved in passing the MJ-12 documents to Timothy Good after Bill Moore had refused to do anything about them. In other words, Doty's group was trying to push the MJ-12 documents out to the public in one form or another. First by showing Linda Moulton Howe and seeing if she would take the bait, and she didn't actually. Um, then 18 months, 19 months later, in a different form, gives these documents to uh, to Moore and Jamie Chandray. And then over a year, two years later, no, three, three plus years later, gets them to Timothy Good in early 1987. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's an attempt here by at least this intelligence group to to uh, get these documents out. And what have the MJ-12 documents done? Well, since, since they've appeared uh, 25 years ago, the UFO research community has been spinning its wheels, uh, arguing about these documents. Uh, you've got people who believe that they are legitimate. Uh, you've got people who believe that they're completely hoaxed documents, completely fraudulent. You've got people like myself who actually think that there's some there's something in between here. Well, we'll look for the between and the betwixt yeah. and all that stuff soon. Richard Dolan is joining us on the Paracast this week. We also have our special co-hosts, always special because they're experts in their fields, Paul Kimball and Nick Redfern. A reminder, go to theparacast.com, theparacast.com for more. Hundreds of shows to download. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, 
The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. You've seen our Sinofresh banner on the GCN website, yet your sinusitis is still a problem. Are you waiting for your sinusitis to go away by itself? Are you waiting for a Sinofresh discount? Okay, here it comes. But first, the facts. 67 other products merely treat symptoms and not the cause of sinus problems. And 37 million Americans suffer from sinus distress just like you. But now many are finding relief with the only patent-protected homeopathic nasal product that antiseptically eliminates the known causes of sinusitis. Sinofresh. Now, here's your limited-time discount offer to use Sinofresh. Call 888-906-3636 right now for $2 off per bottle when you mention GCN. That's it. Just call 888-906-3636 and mention GCN for a $2 discount. But hurry, this offer is only for the first 1,000 customers. Call 888-906-3636. 888-906-3636. Call right now for $2 off per bottle. Mention GCN. Buy Sinofresh.com. It works. You worry, but only because you're paying attention. What's happening in the Gulf of Mexico illustrates an audacity toward nature. A similar audacity called GMO, or genetically modified organisms, means that the quality of commercially grown food may be compromised with our health in the balance. Now that summer's here, what better time to learn about the bounty that nature provides in wild edible food? Let author Linda Runyon show you the best-kept secret in plain sight that food is everywhere you look. This summer, for the cost of a good meal or two out, you can literally starvation-proof yourself and your loved ones against any future craziness and put up tons of free food, too. Whatever experiment is being run on us, you can rest assured that Linda's 50 or so staple foods aren't involved. Our foods are their enemy. So go to ofthefield.com or call toll-free 1-888-51-EAT-FREE and take that first step. Make your oasis of food security and nutrition now. That's O-F-T-H-E-F-I-E-L-D.com or call 1-888-513-2837. Start now and make 2010 your year of independence. Question, what would you rather drink, acidic water which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass, or alkaline water which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to Raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. Tired of searching for great talk radio? And I think it really does make a difference. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned in to the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? You're in the Paracast. Our co-hosts are Nick Redfern, Paul Kimball. Our special guest is Richard Dolan. I'm Gene Steinberg. Nick, 
you have to be champing of the bit at this point. You've done a lot of studies oh, of government listening. involvement in UFOs. What do you have to say for yourself? Well, you know, I mean, one of the things that sort of occurred to me while Rich has been commenting on, you know, what we know and government agencies and certain players in the field, you know, disinformation, etc., it really sort of hits home the fact that we know something's going on, but we're not really sure of the full picture. And I just wonder how Rich feels if, you know, if the UFO community plays a role in getting the full story out one day and we get beyond this hall of mirrors manipulation angle, and it's not all good news. I mean, do you think the UFO research community is going to be seen as heroes, or are we going to be viewed as people who it would have been better if we just left it all alone and it stayed in the in the darkness? Yeah, I ask myself that a lot, and I think uh, we'll probably have both types of responses, frankly. Um, I do think that there's very possibly, very probably, a, a dark element to the truth about this. I don't think it's all, uh, you know, advanced space um, brothers in the Galactic Federation are trying to bring us to the next density of consciousness or whatever. I think that there's there are other intelligences that have agendas and that these agendas uh, may not all be um, in line with our own best interests. So I think, in other words, we have to be careful. And so, you know, let, let's let's imagine that we we are in the know and we're faced with a situation where these. Uh, entities are so far beyond us and they're just doing their thing and we have no ability to stop them uh so what would be the, the use right in in dredging up the truth and causing everyone to panic and you could argue that my attitude is you know you can you can live in a world that's built on fundamental lies or you can build, live in a world that's that's grounded in some fundamental truths and uh for myself uh, I prefer to, to to try to find truth. I also think that most of us want truth, even if even if it's kind of a difficult thing for us to handle at first. Uh, just like every child growing up has to learn some very difficult and unpleasant truths about the world around us, I think that so too. I, I think us as adults often have to do the same thing. Um, I would rather know the truth. And I also think we're getting to a point in our society where our technological capabilities might be more formidable than we give ourselves credit for being. Um, it is possible that, like uh, Michio Kaku's theory, you know, we're like ants compared to them. But it's also possible that progress doesn't go like that. It's possible that it goes in leaps. Uh, if, as uh, I think and many of us think, we're moving into an age of, of artificial intelligence that's very, very advanced. We're also moving into an age possibly of something like quantum computing, an age of very, very advanced nanotech, as well as biotech revolutions and so on. In other words, we are on the verge of reinventing our species, and that's not necessarily an incremental change. We might be taking a kind of leap into their world, maybe not as equals, but maybe to the point where we might be a real pain in the neck to them. And so I don't think um, we need to be um, so careful with the truth. I think that we – and the other thing is that we, as a species, as our nature, I don't think we can help but try to seek the truth. And so that's just what we are. That's what I am, and that's what you guys are too. So whether it's a good or bad thing, I have, I have um, faith in a couple of things. One of them is truth, and I realize that that isn't necessarily – grounded in reality, but I believe that truth is, is the best way to go. 
That's about all I can say. And kind of a, a totally, <laughs> totally different question, but it's it's something that's cropped up with me several times where people ask me, well, how we how do we get the answers? I mean, you know, what do you feel about regardless of what they found or didn't find? What do you feel about people who? I guess, are kind of frustrated by the official stance and they kind of go the backdoor route, people like Gary McKinnon. I mean, is the motivation or is the answer worth the motivation, I guess, legally and morally, or, you know, are they just asking for trouble and they deserve what they get? Well, McKinnon has has had the last, you know, eight years of his life basically shot to hell over what's gone on. Uh, here's a guy who believed that he found evidence uh, at the, I think, U.S. Space Command website for a kind of extra, uh, space program, secret space program. I've read his statements. I think that he probably did, um, though he can't prove it. And he was smoking a lot of weed at the time, so there there goes that. But I think he probably did. Um no, I think I think the uh, attack against him by the U.S. government is all out of proportion to what he actually did. He, he didn't even hack. Uh, it's it's really a mistake to describe him as a hacker. He's more accurately some guy who was just standing at the door waiting for it to be open and seeing what he could see. Um, you know, one of the ironies, I've, one of the funny things, or crazy things about the McKinnon case is that. You know, the initial reportage on this all was heavily UFO-centered. When you read McKinnon's stories now, the UFO part almost never even appears. If it does, it's at the very bottom of the story. It's almost been expunged from all the coverage of the McKinnon case, which I find very interesting. But the other thing is that if the U.S. government denied that there's any anything to do with the UFO phenomenon, then why the hell are they on him like flies <laughs> why are they after him the way that they are I think it's um, would lead one to believe that he did find something that, and that he found probably what he says he found evidence of a US space command covert space program so is it worth it for him well you'd have to ask him that question I don't know um, you know it, there's a lot of personal sacrifice with a lot of individuals who are in this field who um, really try to dedicate themselves to, to the truth. And I know it sounds idealistic, but that's how it is, and that's how a lot of people see it. Uh, and there is sacrifice involved. Um, many people who are researching this field could probably, certainly, make better money doing a lot of other things. Um, I'd like to think that I could, and yet here I have I've thrown myself on the altar of UFO research, and, uh, and I'm staying here. And you don't and think that maybe, you know what, folks, why did I do this? I can't be that crazy. I should just get out of that and do a regular job. You know, it's funny. After all, all these years, and it's, it is difficult. And every time I write a book, it, it takes so much out of me physically and mentally. But I've never been at the point where I've regretted uh, the research that I do. I've never been at the point where I've regretted this, this turn down the road that I've gone. Um, I, I have often wondered... Um, you know, should I have finished um, with the Ph.D. that I was working on? I wrote over 100 pages of a dissertation um, and just gotten a, a job in academia. It would have been an easier life in a lot of ways. But I'm actually glad that I've done what I what I have. I have to live a little bit more more by uh, fine by the seat of my pants because I don't know. I don't have the kind of security that a tenured professor has, obviously. But I'm just doing what I do because I, I think that I'm driven to do it. And I've come to accept that, and I'm fine with it. Nick, you have a follow-up to your previous line of questioning? Well, basically, I mean, Rich kind of answered that question for me. I guess, you know, where I come from, 
is more the perspective of, yeah, we've got great information, we've got intriguing witnesses, we've got a body of FOIA material, we've got further intriguing information that suggests that the story that we have so far is probably just a fragment of the bigger picture. But it really just comes down to, is it just going to be the case that when me and Rich are pretty much the same age, when we're hopefully still around when we're 90 years old, are we just going to have more filing cabinets full of more reports? Or, or are we going to have more answers? And if, we, if we're going to have more answers, how do we get them? I, you know, I see, from my perspective, although, you know, there's certain cases which everybody disagrees on and a lot of people agree on, that's always going to happen. But the fact that there's a genuine UFO presence in my mind, and it's not us, is overwhelming. But it's all... But, People came to that conclusion 50, 60 years ago, you know, Stringfield, Kehoe, etc., Heineck, but they went to their graves right. and solving it. Right. How, do we, how, how do we today in the 21st century not turn into, in 2050, you know, the 2050 Kehoe's and Heineck's? How, how well, do I, we resolve it? I, I look at it as a two-stage a two process. One is to... Uh, well, three parts. Uh, you, you learn the truth to, to the best of your ability, then you speak the truth, and then you have to promote the truth. Uh, what I try to do for my contribution to this is is to write the, the best, most clear uh, history of the phenomenon that I can write. That doesn't, you know, I, I realize Paul's here, and he, I know that he doesn't agree with all of my conclusions about UFOs, but I'm I'm hopeful that the, the case that I've put together in my book and that other researchers have put together at least makes the case that there is an unexplained phenomenon that involves somebody's technology that is more advanced than is supposed to exist. I'll tell you what, we'll get into more of that in a moment. Richard Dolan joining us on the Paracast. Our co-hosts are Paul Kimball and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Richard Dolan. He's author of UFOs in the National Security State. There's a volume one, which is an unclassified history from 1941 to 1973. Volume 2, which came out late last year, The Cover-Up Exposed, 1973 to 1991. 
A reminder, listeners, if you want to find out more about the PowerCast, go to thepowercast.com. That's the Paracast with a T-H-E dot com. We also have forums. You heard Paul referring to messages from our forum members that we're using as questions on the show. That's forum.thepowercast.com, forum.thepowercast.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Rich, you had some further comments to make from our last hour, the question that Nick Redford had posed. That's right. Um, Nick was really wanting to, to uh, know how, how is it that we're going to get to the point where we really have more than just hunches and, uh, you know, lots of file cabinets of cases and, and no proof. Uh, my own contribution is simply to, to try to create an airtight case for the reality of an unexplained phenomenon that has gotten the interest of our national security apparatus, uh, not to prove that they are alien necessarily, although I think that's what I probably my number one hypothesis, that there's some type of non-human intelligence. Um, I feel that that's the way to go, and, and I'm not even saying that my own books are 100% perfect in the execution of that idea, but that's what I think I'm trying to do. I want to create as, uh, as airtight a case of the reality of the phenomenon from a historical point of view. And uh, this is sort of my way of doing an end run around having to prove that they're this or that or the other thing. Rather, if I can prove that the United States government and other governments have engaged these objects continuously with seriousness, then that can, should be, ideally, a jumping-off point for further public inquiry and pressure on the government agencies themselves to find out what's going on. Let me ask you a fast question here, Rich. Have you found in doing the two books and now researching a third and doing still another book that certain pieces of information you took to be accurate are now not accurate or led you in the wrong direction? Oh, yeah, yeah, especially with the earlier book, which I wrote during the late 1990s. And, um, I, you know, there were a lot of things that I just didn't know, didn't know about the UFO phenomenon. And I was sort of learning as I go, so to speak. Um, looking back on that book, I'm still generally happy with it, but I do intend at some point in the future, I don't know when, to do one final revision of that first volume. Not so much that I think was incorrect in that book, um, so much as just missing. Uh, there's a lot of history in that first volume that that should have been there that isn't in there. Just a couple of things that come to mind off the top of my head. The whole connection of uh, of Kelly Johnson with UFOs. Kelly Johnson, of course, running Lockheed's Skunk Works division. Um, not only was very interested in the UFO topic, but had seen them. And it, in fact, on one occasion, seen them in the company of other Lockheed personnel. Uh, that, you know, strikes me as a very significant thing. Actually, I've got a list. Uh, I put together a number of things in Volume 1 that I, I want to add to one more final edition. Uh, the biggest oversight, I would say, of the first volume was how I really did not appreciate at the time uh, the whole German or Nazi flying saucer phenomenon. Uh, keep in mind, I wrote that book really in the late 90s. It was before uh, Nick Cook had come out with his, his very interesting book, The Hunt for Zero Point, uh, in which he really delves into that in, in, in such an interesting way. After I read that, I thought, Damn it. I really would like to have redone the whole Nazi UFO section. Uh, I tried to amend that to some extent in the second volume, uh, where I talk uh, in the early 1970s about how the, the, 
the Nazi thesis uh, started making the rounds, and it really did start making the rounds in the early 70s. So it gave me an opportunity to uh, kind of correct that oversight. Uh, you know, the, the bottom line is I think that it's a lot more complicated when we look at the late 1940s when we consider that the Germans were, in fact, working on apparently some very unconventional airframes, including disc-shaped. And we have to wonder, you know, what is the relationship of that to the UFO flying saucer phenomenon of the late 40s? Um, the, the only thing that I would say is that I, I'm not convinced that, that the sum total of the UFO phenomenon of the late 40s can be traced to, to the Nazi flying saucer phenomenon. Uh, it just strikes me as vastly too much. Um, and, you know, the other question being, who's, who's running the, the so-called Nazi flying saucers? Uh, if it's a U.S. black project, why are American planes chasing them nonstop for over 60 years? Uh, are we talking about a kind of separate Nazi civilization that went to Antarctica or South America? Well, if that's the case, I'm, I haven't really come across historical evidence that makes that very compelling to me. Now, a couple of the other things that you mentioned in your book that I wanted to go over. Now, we were talking about overt evidence of government participation in the UFO field. And we have a couple of very unfortunate incidents over the years. Two apparent suicides of UFO researchers we all know about. First, going back to the 50s, M.K. Jessup. And his participation gets to be rather notorious because of that book, The Case of the UFO. And then we have this character, Carl Allen, or Carlos Eldende, who mm -hmm. comes up with the annotated version. He uh, suffocated himself uh, with a uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. I think he ran a, a tube from the exhaust of his car. Okay. Okay, so anything weird about that? Or you just think it's just a person who was despondent or had some reason to think they should off themselves? I think he could have been killed. Absolutely, he could have been suicided. Um, I don't know if I'm going to ever know the truth to that one, but um, yeah, I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world to, to suicide a person, make it look like they killed themselves. I mean, even back in the 40s and 50s, that was that was old news for intelligence operatives. So, could Jessup have been killed? Sure. Maybe, but do you see any maybe. reason other than saying, gee, we could certainly make a death appear to be natural? We see that all the time on television. CSI covers it every couple of months. Somebody made to look like they died naturally, but they were really murdered. Would there be any yeah. reason to kill Morris K. Jessup? Well, if, if he stumbled across something that was really important. If, if the Varro edition of uh, the case for the UFO actually is as significant as, I mean, you know, is Lende actually as... Who knows what Carlos Allende was, what Carl Allen was. Um, talk is cheap. Did he create those documents or not? I, I don't know. He says he did. Okay, well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Uh, the Jessup story is a little odd, and um, he may have just killed himself. I don't, I don't recall speculating that he was murdered in, in the first volume of my book. I think I kind of let that go. But um, I don't know. Uh, I do think a number of people connected with the UFO mystery were murdered, not suicide. In fact, uh, one is uh, James Forrestal, the former Secretary of Defense. Uh, I'm pretty much convinced that Forrestal was thrown out the window of the Bethesda Naval Hospital back in 1949. Uh, I don't think he just jumped. Uh, his death is one that I've studied in some detail, 
And when I conclude that he was murdered, then I have to ask myself, well, why would he have been murdered? Um, there are a couple of possibilities. One could have been having to do with uh, communism, kind of the communist menace uh, as it was perceived in 1949. But one I think is legitimate concern re- relating to the UFO phenomenon. Forrestal was a guy who knew things. He uh, might have been seen as a security risk in um, early 1949, and maybe they just decided to get rid of him. His, his death was very suspicious, very suspicious. What so others do you think maybe intrigue you? Rupelt. Rupelt, who died of, died of a heart attack. Right. He was, at what, maybe 40 years old, 39, something like that? 37. Okay, even 37 worse. Years old. And the thing about Rupelt is that um, he, you know, had written in 1956 a, really a classic study of the UFO topic. It was very mature, very nicely put together, the study of unidentified flying objects. Um, and three years later, in 1959, writes an additional three chapters to that book uh, while he was working over at, um, I think, Northrop. And the thing about it, if you've read those three subsequent chapters... I want to talk about that in our next section because (laughs) I remember what Major Kehoe said in one of his books about that, so we'll get into it. We have Richard Dolan, author of two volumes of the UFOs in the National Security State series. A third one is going to come eventually. Our co-host, Paul Kimball, and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Hey, neighbors, have you been thinking about starting a website? Well, I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a world-famous leader in web hosting, and they make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and great selection of templates. Use the coupon code POWERCAST. Once again, use the coupon code POWERCAST and sign up at this special address, thepowercast.com slash gator. That's G-A-T-O-R, thepowercast.com slash gator. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Are you wondering about your retirement portfolio? Are you confident that the financial advisor is experienced enough to combat climbing interest rates, taxes, and inflation? Stop guessing and go to the expert, Robert Chapman of the International Forecaster. When you subscribe to the International Forecaster, you get Robert Chapman's 45 years of experience and concise investment recommendations. Who needs sugar-coated excuses when you can get the cold hard facts and proven investment leads you can't get anywhere else? For a free introductory copy to Robert Chapman's International Forecaster, subscribe now at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. Experience the difference. When you subscribe, you can email Robert Chapman directly to obtain investment advice tailored just for you. Don't wait another minute. Subscribe today at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. That's 877-479-8178.
Attention, an important product from HempUSA.org, Microplant Powder, will change your life by removing all types of positive toxins, such as heavy metals, parasites, bacteria, viruses, and fungus from the digestive tract and stomach wall so you can absorb nutrients. Microplant Powder is 89% silica and packed with a negative charge that attracts positive toxins from the blood, organs, spine, and brain. This product has the ability to rebuild cartilage and bone, which allows synovial fluid to return to the joints. Silica is a precursor to calcium, meaning the body turns silica into calcium and is great for the heart. There is no better time than now to have microplant powder on your shelf or in your storage shelter. And with an unlimited shelf life, you can store it anywhere. Call 908-691-2608 or visit hempusa.org. It's a great way to change your life. So call 908-691-2608 or visit us at hempusa.org today. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is heart and body extract. My name is Stan, and I'm 68 years old, and I live in Vermont. In the spring of 2003, I started to have problems with my heart. It felt like my heart was pounding. It made me feel breathless. I tried many, many different things to try to get some help for myself. Nothing did anything. Heart and body extract is very powerful, very effective, and works quickly. I saw one of Sharon's ads and ordered heart and body extract. I noticed a difference quickly, within days. The episodes became less frequent, and by a month, I completely vanished. Usually, you find a 30-day or 60-day guarantee. Heart and Body Extract comes with a lifetime 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. Call 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Bringing you the best in alternative talk radio for over 10 years. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes. We have Richard Dolan, our co-hosts, Paul Kimball, Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. We were talking about whether the death of... The late Captain Edward Ruppelt, author of the report on UFOs, a Doubleday book from 1956, who died apparently of a heart attack at the age of 37, whether he was off by the authorities. Now, I do know that in one of Major Kehoe's books, maybe Flying Saucer's Top Secret, he was mentioning that Ruppelt told him that he was under tremendous pressure from the government to change his stance on UFOs. He wrote three extra chapters for that book. Tell us about them, Rich. Well, yeah, the, the tone of those three chapters, uh, compared to the, the previous book he had written just three years before, were so utterly juvenile. It's really striking that he does nothing but engage in insult and innuendo, exactly the opposite type of tone than what he had taken previously, which was very detached, uh, very low-key, very careful kind of writing. Whereas in these final three chapters, he's just uh, he sounds like a different person. Now, maybe he wrote it, maybe he didn't. I don't really know. It, it doesn't seem to be the same writing style. It probably is him. But uh, something was different with Ed Ruppelt when he 
when he wrote that book. That I think uh, is evident just from from studying the state of his mind in the in the writing. Uh, and then he got, he ups and dies, uh, which I do think is a bit odd. He was he was not yet forty years old. Uh, according to Kehoe, Ruppelt had had one prior heart attack, and you know I think that's interesting. So you might say, well, you know, he had a pre-existing heart condition, or you could say that someone killed him and made it look like a heart attack. That technology existed easily by 1955, 1960. Uh, There were aerosol sprays that were in existence by then. Uh, Inhale it, you're dead. If you're not autopsied within a couple of hours, the best they could do is say it was a heart attack. That that I know existed. So I don't really know what happened with Ruppelt. His death was suspicious. But then he recanted in the book, and that's the key there. He recants in the book, so why even bother offing this guy? don't know. Hmm. This is one of the points that Rich and I politely agree to disagree on. I know he speculated on Jim McDonald's death, too. And I don't see any grounds for that kind of speculation there. But that's cool. You know, if you agree on 70% of stuff and disagree on 30%, well, then I'd rather focus these days, at least, on the 70% that we do agree on than the yeah. 30% or whatever that maybe we don't. So I, I happen to agree with that, Paul. Okay, uh, let's, let's talk about yeah. Dr. McDonald only for a moment because we had Ann Druffel on the PowerCast several years ago, uh-huh. and she feels completely that he had reason to be despondent, whatever, with his life, and he did commit suicide. You mm-hmm. feel it was deliberate, it was murder. What is your background? What is your reasoning for this? Well, I don't. I don't know if I if I hold that position as strongly as I did. To be perfectly candid with you, uh, you know, the McDonald section might be something that I would I would want to handle a little differently if I were re, re, redoing this today. Um, I do think the technologies existed even by 1970 uh, to well get inside somebody's head. That was there. Whether that was the case with McDonald or not, I don't know. Is it possible to influence someone? Uh, psychologically via technology the answer is yes it is possible it was possible in 1970 it's possible today uh, we can pretend that there's no such thing as mind control or or uh, psychological manipulation technologically but we do that at our own risk the technology's there um, so we're in this unpleasant position of having to uh, ask ourselves well did it happen or not and, and never having enough proof to make a a case one way or the other. So uh, in McDonald's case, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Anne's research in that book. She spent a lot more time studying Jim McDonald than I ever did. Uh, her opinion is that it was a suicide. I'm certainly willing to take that into account. So there. <laughs> now that takes us back years and years ago. In the 40s, 50s, and 60s, we have this. Any subsequent cases where you think somebody might have been murdered by the government, maybe because they knew too much or whatever? Yeah, I don't think it's a UFO case, but I would say uh, the journalist Gary Webb, uh, I think, was probably suicided. Uh, anyone who shoots themselves twice in the head is probably going to be suspicious of that, and that was what the coroner stated about Gary Webb. Uh, Gary Webb, for those who may not recall offhand, was the guy who in 1996 uh, wrote a three-part series called uh, Dark Alliance, and it was all about the CIA's relationship to uh, the Nicaraguan Contras, the Medellin cartel and the importation of cocaine into the United States at a time in the 80s when it was becoming uh, crack cocaine was being developed for the first time. And so the expose that Gary Webb had 
was that you know during the period when Ronald Reagan had his war on drugs, just say no, and so forth, that the CIA was wittingly facilitating the importation of massive amounts of cocaine uh, through the Medellin cartel to the Contras to the Bloods and Crips in L.A. at a time when um, it was hitting the streets as in the form of crack, which of course was the most pernicious drug to hit the United States up to that time. Webb lost his job within a year. He was savaged, I mean utterly savaged by the L.A. Times, by the uh, New York Times, and I think the Washington Post. They just, uh, in his own newspaper, let him twist in the wind, so to speak. Uh, the CIA, was, you know, essentially working through their proxies, just tore him to pieces. CIA just stood back and said, well, of course we didn't. We weren't involved in any of that. But I think that Webb made a very excellent case. What happened to Gary Webb? His career tanked, and ten years later, dies of not one but two self-inflicted gunshot wounds to the head, <laughs> okay? And yet it's ruled a suicide. Yes, I think Gary Webb was murdered. And uh, certainly had he, had he died immediately after all that, that blew up, it would have been deeply suspicious. You wait 10 years, you, you off him like that, you send a signal to other researchers, like, see, this is what happens to you when you screw with the wrong people. So I think Gary Webb was certainly bumped off in that manner. Now, whether it was a CIA hit or a drug hit, I don't know. But I think he was suicided. And I think here's a guy who did out the CIA for its role in drug trafficking. Let's return back to the UFO field because we have two and a half segments left. And we haven't focused on an end game. So we all know that a lot of researchers have worked many, many years, decades. We had John Keel. We had Richard Hall, people who lived out their lives, and nothing happened. Major Donald Kehoe felt very much so in the early years there would be disclosure, and he pushed very hard for that with the organization NICAP. So right now, we're in 2010, as most of our listeners are hearing this, although since it is available also as a podcast, people will hear this for many years, I imagine. Okay, so in 2010, can we hope there's going to be any kind of disclosure? This is one of the topics I want to deal with, mm -hmm. Rich Dolan, in the next segment, because we don't have enough time right now to have you answer it. So I'd rather leave what they call the cliffhanger, except to say you have two books out there now, UFOs and the National Security State, Volume 1 covering 1941 to 1973. Volume 2, the more recent one, came out late last year, covering 1973 to 1991, and the rest will be coming out hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Our co-hosts this week, Paul Kimball, Nick Redfern. Check the Paracast at theparacast.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. If 
find out what they don't want you to know. Question, what would you rather drink? Acidic water, which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass? Or alkaline water, which promotes high energy and vibrant health? <laughs> the answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. Global meltdowns, massive unemployment, endless wars, a new currency crisis, financially and morally bankrupt. A great and terrible storm is approaching. So what's the best way to get ready? To get prepared for hard times ahead. Introducing Off the Grid News, a weekly newsletter for independent patriots who want practical advice on how to survive and prosper in an increasingly dangerous world. It's the best way to get a black belt in emergency preparedness, survival skills, and off-the-grid living. Off the Grid News is fiercely independent, all about self-reliance and packed with helpful information on survival gardening, food preparation, alternative energy, herbal medicines, privacy and security, as well as God, gold, and guns, with absolutely no apologies. And the best part? This $100 a year service is now free of charge for our listeners. That's right, free for our listeners who sign up at offthegridnews.com. That's offthegridnews.com. You can sign up for free at offthegridnews.com. Offthegridnews.com. Now you can purify the water and filter the air in your entire house for less. Keep listening for discount information from airandaqua.com. Airandaqua.com has everything from whole house air and water purification systems to air conditioners, shower filters, water testing kits, atmospheric water generators, and much more to keep you and your family healthy. Now, airandaqua.com has developed two value-packed money-saving packages. Package 1, the Pure Whole Home Water Package. It includes three very important elements to purify the water in your whole house. Package 2, the whole home air package with an ultraviolet light system that kills 99.9% .9 of airborne bacteria and viruses. Get more details on both of these air and water filter packages at airandaqua.com or call 866-380-AQUA. That's 866-380-2782. GCN listeners use promo code GCN for an 8% discount. Go to airandaqua.com. That's airandaqua.com. Purify your life today. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. It's good stuff. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Richard Dolan joining us this week. Our co-hosts are Paul Kimball and Nick Redfern. You're in the Paracast. I'm Gene Steinberg. And the question on the table... Disclosure. Okay, it didn't happen in the lifetimes of lots of people who were very dedicated and worked real hard. Can it happen now? 
Yes, I think it can happen, and I uh, furthermore think that it will happen in the future and probably in our lifetimes. Uh, this, uh, I really should take this opportunity to mention that this is the, the, the theme of the book that I'm writing right now, and it will be out in the fall, so I might as well just mention it. Uh, it's a book that I'm co-authoring with um, award-winning journalist Bryce Zabel, who happens to be the creator and producer of the television show Dark Skies, which aired in the late 1990s. Bryce and I have, have been working on this book. It's just about finished. We call it A.D. After Disclosure. And we have a subtitle for it, which is The People's Guide to Life After Contact. Uh, I guess the best way that I would describe it would be as a kind of what if. Uh, I'm not going to put myself in a corner here and say that it's going to happen, um, although I think it probably will. But really, in a way, it's an interesting exercise. What if a disclosure did happen? How might that change the world? And this is really the kind of book that we've put together. And I, I must say, it's been just a fascinating journey. Um, I think we've we've got as many ideas per page as any UFO book has that's out there. And again, I think we're going to have it done uh, probably any week and have it ready for print by the in the fall. So um, you know, part of part of my developing thesis for the last couple of years has been that it is going to happen despite despite the uh, the, the most determined efforts of those to stop it. Uh, I've sort of explored some of those reasons with you earlier in this interview, and in that um, I just see, you know, in the grand scheme of things, our society is moving way too fast technologically and therefore socially that something is going to happen. It could very well be uh, with the development of, of better quality portable video cameras, which uh, very soon everyone's going to be carrying that um, something undeniable will happen. It could be something that happens during a, a broadcast itself, for all we know. Um, I do think that it's probably something that will happen very suddenly, very unexpectedly. It might be that uh, you know we have a deathbed confession that's publicly made of a famous figure. Uh, I think that's a little less likely, but who knows. I guess... I'm focused less on the actual trigger and more on the generalities and thinking that 2010 is not like 1950, and it's not going to be like uh, 2030, for that matter, or 2050. Um, it's very hard to predict the future, but I do think, I mean, you know, something like the Internet was almost not predictable in 1985, um, and so I think that we're still in the point of, of reinventing our civilization. So... I think the truth will out, and really our book is an attempt to understand how might that change our world. Rich, based on what you just said, would you would I be taking it correct then that you don't really see, the, I guess, the traditional approach of disclosure of the government coming clean because the government decides to come clean or whoever's sitting on the speaker comes clean? You don't think that's going to be the way we're going to get the answers? Well, I don't think that they're going to, to do that voluntarily. I mean, look, if, if you and I were president, I, I've thought about this. I put myself in the position of these people, and I have a lot of sympathy for any president that has to make a statement. Because, you know, one thing you don't want to do is, is cause people to go crazy uh, and pull a hair out of their heads and jump out of buildings and start shooting each other too much. Uh, and so you have to be careful with how you present this information. And that's going to be very, very difficult. My reasoning is the only thing that would cause them to do it is if they're forced into it somehow by an event that is just no longer 
credible to deny. And I do think that something like that can happen. However it comes about, um, they're, they're going to have to be withholding a lot of truth for as long as possible. The problem with that strategy, as I see it, is it's going to be very difficult ultimately to do that for a long period of time. It's like being a little bit pregnant. You really can't be. Once, once an acknowledgement is made, A, you know, we've been lying for 60, 70 plus years about this, then it's going to be very hard to deny that there's a very large deep black infrastructure that's been involved in dealing with it, and people are going to be asking about it. Uh, increasingly, it will be more and more difficult. Uh, there will be calls that will go out to uh, have a presidential executive order that will liberate uh, people who have had black world secrets relating to the, to the UFO phenomenon, and who knows what will come out. You know, keep in mind that uh, during the presidency of Jimmy Carter, a lot of the, the leaks that Leonard Stringfield got in the late 70s explicitly came to him from military people who said, well, it looks like the president's going to make a big statement on UFOs anyway, so I just thought I would tell you. And this actually happened. In other words, it was believed by people at that time that Jimmy Carter was going to be, in fact, the disclosure president. Of course, that didn't happen. But there was enough of a a widespread belief because of certain statements he had made to cause a number of people to come out and leak information to Stringfield. So in the event that there's an actual official statement of some sort, I, I think it's a no-brainer that a lot of uh, black world people are going to come up and they're just going to start talking. And then it's going to be very difficult to contain that situation. Next thing you know, it's, it's going to be a truth out of control. What kind of worries me if looking at the way the government works, if we have a government where we hardly control our intelligence apparatus at all, where Donald Rumsfeld said, what, 2000 before 9-11, that there's a couple of trillion dollars lying around somewhere that we can't account for, if all this stuff is going on behind the scenes, you know, who really knows? Is there one singular authority who could say, I can control disclosure, or is it so spread out? in different areas, in so many companies, private industry, etc., that nobody can really do it. I think that there are people, I call them the masters of the universe. Uh, look, you know, one of the theses of my last book is that America does have a kingmaker. His name is David Rockefeller. Um, that doesn't mean that Rockefeller controlled every single facet of U.S. politics, but it does mean that he had preponderant influence over who was selected to, to the presidency and what those major policies would be. I think that that's a case that is made reasonably well enough in my book. There is a Bilderberg group. They do meet every year in total secrecy. They do uh, gather themselves together and they decide on how the world needs to look. And they have more power and influence than you and I have. And so they're able to make various decisions in security and they're able to have a, a lot of ability to implement those decisions in structures around the world. Uh, you can call that a conspiracy or not. Uh, it's kind of an open conspiracy because they don't make any bones about what they do. So are these the people, you know, who are ultimately in charge of the UFO secret? I would say the answer is maybe. I would say the answer is yes, it absolutely could be. When you look at uh, U.S. foreign policy is basically working in service of of uh, financial groups that have basically tried to, for example, steal Iraq oil or to try to uh, take over 
uh, natural gas transportation in Afghanistan or now, you know, try to take the, the immense value of copper that's in Afghanistan. And that's, that's what it's all about. It's all about owning the, the resources of the world, and that's what the U.S. military works for. Uh, once we get our head into that frame of mind, it's, it's not difficult, really, to see the UFO cover-up as part of that whole system. There's money and power in the UFO secret, uh, money in the, in the form of acquired technology, at least this is my belief, this is what it looks like to me, uh, in terms of, of uh, technology that have been a, a, obtained. Well, if you've got something that's vastly ahead of your, you know, above-world open world technology, then you've, you've got the future in your hands and you've got a great number of ground floor investment opportunities. So you have no incentive for giving that secret up. So I think that's part of the problem. And I think that um, if there's a, a guy who's in charge, yeah, I would, I would look to the, the powers behind the scenes. I would look to people like those who meet at, at the annual, whether it's the Bilderberg or the Trilat meetings or, you know, what have you. Well, look at Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney knows it all. That's why they have him on the heart machine now to make sure he lives long enough to disclose. I'm um, sure Cheney knows a lot. Yes, I have no no little doubt that he knows a great deal about this. I have little doubt that Richard Dolan is here with us this week on the Paracast. Our co-host Paul Kimball, Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast for one more segment. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack. Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. It's the number one reason for slow and clogged bath drains. That's right, care. And the number one way to open drains plugged with hair? The drain clog. Stop standing in dirty bath water. Stop using dangerous chemicals. Just push the drain claw past the pop-up in your sink or tub, twist, and pull. You'll be shocked at what this little tool can pull out of your drain. The drain claw has over 100 tiny hooks that claw through hair, toothpaste, and shampoo that slows and clogs your drains. See how it works right now at thedrainclaw.com. The drain claw is made in the USA and is the safest, easiest, most environmentally friendly solution to unclog bath drains. Get one for $6.99 or three for $15. The drain claw can be used over and over. Don't be fooled by substitutes. Buy the original. Buy the drain claw. Order now at thedrainclaw.com. That's the drain claw at thedrainclaw.com. Wow. 
Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Where have all the military surplus stores gone? Don't worry, you don't need one. Because everything you need at Military Surplus is at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. One of the last surviving true military surplus stores in the country. Go online now to MainMilitary.com and discover a source for hard-to-find surplus items at true surplus prices. Surplus gun cleaning kits as low as $2.99. Complete chemical suits as low as $11.99. See our huge selection of gas masks, filters, and accessories. Finish at M10 gas masks are three for $30. And Swiss filters are three for $12. Searching for Strike Anywhere matches? MainMilitary.com has them. Plus a whole new product line of survival and first aid kits and lots more. Get free shipping on orders over $50 only at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com. Or call 877-608-0179. 877-608-0179. MainMilitary.com. The main name in military supply. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. You guys are awesome. I love this station. I really do. GCN. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paragast. Richard Dolan joining us for one more session. Our co-host Paul Kimball and Nick Redfern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Paul is the foreigner amongst us, not from outer space, but from the great white north. So what is your feeling about this? Would you like to follow up with Rich? Well, first of all, I'd just like to point out that Nick is still technically a foreigner, having come from the United Kingdom. So <laughs> He lives um, here. We'll just do that. Well, yeah, they they used to call people like him, you know, Hessians, although they were from German, uh, Germany, but they were fighting. <laughs> so it's a, it's call a me column. something too, but I don't want to say this on the air. Nick is a fifth column, two hundred years later. So, um, you have a streaky, uh, a clean green card, though. Oh well, there you go. I, I wouldn't mind getting one of those so I could work in L.A. Look, Rich is far more optimistic, uh, and I find most people in the UFO interest in the UFO subject are far more optimistic than I am. Now, with Rich... Regarding what, exactly? Disclosure. With Rich, we can talk on the same level because, frankly, nobody else in this show would ever say it, but I don't have a whole lot of respect for most people who take a public interest in the UFO phenomenon. I do with Rich because he understands history and 
it was very weird. People might be very surprised to hear me say this. I'm actually, I have a darker view of the world than you do, Rich, because mm-hmm. I see all the same things you do, leaving aside the UFO thing, and I see it ending differently. I see it not ending in a good way. I do see it as evolving into a police state, into a national surveillance state, and I see that combined. And actually, you know what? This ties into the Robertson panel, strangely enough, or at least you could tie it into the Robertson panel, where they said they would use documentary filmmakers and entertainment groups to distract people from the UFO phenomenon to manage that information. Now, you could argue over what they meant by that, but there's no question that they were talking about using the mass media as a way of controlling information. Yes, absolutely. So, so I, I think the most important thing, well, maybe not the most important thing, but one of the most important things that people could read if they want to look at the UFO phenomenon in the national security state and a lot of the things that we've been talking about today and the issue of disclosure is the Society of the Spectacle, which was written by a a French Marxist theorist, Guy Debord, who was part of a a group called the Situationists in the 1960s, very radical. But his whole idea, you know, to sum it all up, bread and circuses, Mm -hmm. that we have become part in modern society and technology, increasing technology certainly plays into this. Video games are a perfect example, um, where kids will sit in front of their computer screens for hours upon hours now playing video games instead of interacting with people. But they actually talked, and I know that maybe this goes a, a little highbrow or a little outside the UFO norm, but people in the, who are interested in these subjects should be looking into this kind of stuff, and they should be thinking. And DeBoard would write, did write, that the spectacle taken in the limited sense of mass media, uh, which is its superficial manifestation, had inverted the image of society so that the relations between commodities had supplanted relations between peoples, i.e. a Big Mac at McDonald's is more important than my friendship with Nick, and passive identification with the spectacle, watching American Idol on television, I say this as a former musician, supplants genuine activity, i.e. picking up a guitar and going out and playing yourself. So going back to this thing about searching for the truth, whether I agree with Rich or not, whether I agree with Nick or not about any given thing, I respect them as people who are genuinely seeking the truth. But they are few and far between, and guys like you are a diminishing group in our society. And here's another quote. I'll just throw out one last quote from Guy Debord. He wrote, and then I'll change it a bit. He said, young people everywhere have been allowed to choose between love and a garbage disposal unit. And everywhere they have chosen the garbage disposal unit. And I would say you could try, you could change that a bit and say young people everywhere have been allowed to choose between truth and a garbage disposal unit and everywhere they have chosen the garbage disposal unit. Um, I, I agree with so much of what you're saying and, and uh, unfortunately I do find that I often have a dark view of our future too. But I do believe that really what we're in right now is is a grand battle and the battle is between forces of free thought and the forces of a global police state i don't think that that battle has been decided yet i do think that there are are forces on both sides and uh, that it isn't necessarily a foregone conclusion that we're all going to be mental slaves of the machine i also believe that there is in fact even among young people i've I've got a son who's 14 a daughter who's 11 and i know all of their friends and in about 10 minutes i'm going to be uh, coaching a, a, a youth baseball game, in fact, I find that there is a, a hunger for truth. Once people understand that there are issues to, to care about, uh, I see it every day in my life. I deal with people in private capacity, nothing to do with UFOs. They find out that I'm interested in this topic, and, and inevitably, I find 
they're curious and inevitably they want to know a little bit about it and then after 10 minutes of, of me doing my thing with them often one-on-one I find the same reaction every time and it's wow I had no idea that's fascinating I'd like to learn more so I think that at a certain level there is a hunger for truth that many people have the problem is they they are not aware that they have it until until someone, whether it's myself or some other person who cares enough, tries to turn that light on, and then people can realize. So I think that there is potential. What I want to do in, in whatever way that I can is to show that there's another way. It's a way of, of independent thought. It's a way of actively searching for truth. And sure, it's, it's a sacrifice, but it's absolutely worthwhile and I'm not prepared no to to say that it's over I think that uh, there are forces on the other side of the fence that's our side of the fence and that's that's the side I'm staying on don't get me wrong I'm not prepared to say it's over either in right. fact I don't think it is I, I just think we're losing so which might, I might be, <laughs> I mean you know it's like the it's the eighth inning and we're down getting our asses kicked yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, okay. You know, but, and we're the Kansas City Royals, and they're the New York Yankees. But that doesn't mean we can't win. It just means, I think, you know, things like the society, the spectacle, a whole bunch of stuff that kids are not being taught in school anymore that is not being discussed. And, you know, we live in a dumbed-down uh, sort of white bread, no-name brand society. Right. And I'll I tell you what, we can get more into that on another episode, Paul, because we're just about out of time. Back. <laughs> and I've got to give Rich a chance to sell his books. In the next couple of minutes, Rich Dolan, tell us about your books, what you have coming out, where we can get copies. Sure. Well, the the first place you can go is my website, which is keyholepublishing.com, just like looking through a keyhole, keyhole publishing. Uh, the book that, well, I've written two volumes of history, UFOs and the National Security State. They're both available on Amazon. They're both available on my website. Uh, I'm actually uh, at the point of getting volume two into bookstores. I'm working on that. The book that I'm working on that I'm very excited about right now is called AD After Disclosure. I've co-authored this with the creator of the television show Dark Skies. That's Brian. I think of it as a what-if book. What if UFO secrecy ended? How would that change our world? The answer, as Bryce and I are finding, is that it would change our world a lot. Uh, I guess we'll have to have that for another topic. But uh, I will say that um, this is a book where we've really kept our analysis very grounded as much as possible, but still not being afraid to speculate on a whole variety of possibilities. Um, It's a book that has uh, shocked me in how many different neat ideas we've we've developed out of it and that book ad after disclosure is going to be out uh in the fall we're planning for september 23rd 24th we'll see uh we're shooting for it the website for the book is called afterdisclosure.com uh so you can access it there as well as on my website keyholepublishing.com Okay, Paul Kimball, where do we find more of the things that you're doing? As always, the easiest place to go is my blog, uh, redstarfilms.blogspot.com. And if you go in particular to May 7th, 2010, you'll see my review of Rich's book, UFOs in the National Security State, Volume 2, where I write, The important thing about Dolan's work lies not in his conclusions, which may or may not be correct, but in his encouragement to us to ask questions about the official story, not just concerning the UFO phenomenon, but about the way our very society is ordered and how our governments treat the truth. So um, so thanks for writing that, Rich. 
rich, and I did enjoy the book, even if I didn't agree with everything. Hey, by the way, thanks for that review. I forgot to tell you, although you really hit the German history kind of hard, don't you think? I'll tell you what, we'll get into German history on another episode. Nick Redfern, I need to ask you, where do we find more of the stuff you do? Um, My website, which is nickredfern.com, and I have a lot of blogs which are linked to the site where people can find out latest news, things that are going on, breaking stories, etc. Nick Redfern, Paul Kimball, and our special guest, Richard M. Dolan, thank you all for joining us this week on the Paracast. Thanks, Thanks Gene. Thank you. See you later. The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.